Hello, and welcome to the award-winning podcast, The Academy Academy, the show that discovers the absolute, undeniable, and scientifically proven greatest performance of your favorite actor's esteemed career. Hello, and welcome to the award-winning podcast, The Academy Academy, the show that discovers the absolute, undeniable, and scientifically proven greatest performance in your favorite actor's esteemed career. I'm Don Saunderson, and do I have deja vu? Uh, yeah, just something, I'm Patrick Remyon, and... Yeah, I felt something had. Did you just say it? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Something don't happened. Know. Something happened. Do it I know feels... you? Do I, uh, well, we yeah. met before. Are you Are my we... daughter? <laughs> oh no! Welcome Am the... I your daughter? Welcome to the academy. Welcome to the academy. Welcome to the academy. And of course, welcome to Scott Scott. It's a very special double feature episode. We combined them. I know. Last week, you know, Patrick, we we pulled a patented academy academy swerve. This week, mon dieu, uh, mon dieu, <laughs> what I'm about to buy you? Is that Christopher Columbus? <laughs> yes, that's me. <laughs> uh, we, com- we have combined two episodes into one. Matchstick men, deja vu, scams and flams. One from yes. Tony, one from Ridley. Er, um, peak 2003-2006 type filmmaking. Man, yeah, these are. Here, I'd say. These are fascinating films to watch just so you can, like, just as, like, capsule time capsules for their eras. They feel so specifically early 2000s and mid-2000s. Absolutely. Absolutely. And they're both, um, these two directors stepping outside of their total comfort zone movies. Mm. Two varying degrees of success, I would say. Yes. You know, Ridley trying to be quote unquote fun and to mm. a caper esque romp uh, that probably should have directed been directed by Steven Soderbergh. <laughs> mm, very yeah, a Soderbergh type. You definitely, definitely, um, definitely someone who's a little more goosey uh, goosey. Someone who can like you know kind of like un- 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 unbutton that top uh, button a bit better than mr scott yeah i think ridley could be given said a lot of things can be said about ridley scott but i'm not sure if like that he makes fun movies would be Mm. one of them uh meanwhile stepping into a sci-fi territory was tony scott with deja vu Mm. um before we get into it matchstick men is available to rent i rented it off of amazon prime I, i imagine you did something similar yes i have an amazon boy and also on Blu-ray, though, I double-checked that. And while deja vu, the clouds parted here. In, it's been rainy, and the clouds parted here in Los Angeles. <laughs> and a light came through, and that light was shined by quite the, a deity-like figure known as Tubi. Uh, deja vu's you, Tubi. on Tubi. Bravo, we had some good commercials. I saw uh, Dave Tooney shilling for the uh, California Lottery. Oh, I think I saw that commercial five one. times. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's, Dave Tootie, good for him. Get that yeah. paper, brother. Get that, com- yeah, get that, that lot of money. Yeah. Uh, Deja Vu also is available on Blu-ray. We'll probably, we, I think we have to talk about the endings on both of these movies. In particular, we're going to spoil Magic Men, which you might be upset if there's a rather large twist in yeah. Magic Men that needs to be discussed. Uh, I say this, and so we're going to talk about Matchstick Men first, Deja Vu mm. second, because of, you know, how we do things on here, release by release date. Um, we're chronological cowboys. Chronological cowboys. Hey, deal with it. 
<laughs> my horse time. Yeah. <laughs> I think that was a line from the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. I think my horse is time. Time that I don't have. Because I'm going to get assassinated by this coward that I'm with. <laughs> and the bullet that will go into your head is the aging process as you die bitter and old. Yeah. My name is Benjamin Button. Anyway. <laughs> I, I am Benjamin Button. Magic Man was released September 12th of 2003. It was Ridley Scott's follow-up to Black Hawk Down. Looking at Ridley, looking at what we have talked, yeah, wow, indeed. It's just as like when you say that out loud, it is just an insane. I'm you trying to think. Got a hand to this guy. He like the guy works, and he works at a high level on like tough stuff, nonstop. Like, oh, for sure. Well, this like it's so funny because like in the Ian Nathan book, there he's like, I feel like. Nathan kind of paints this as kind of like a vacation movie for him, yeah. or like a smaller. It's like this movie was only sixty million dollars, a yeah, smallish budget, a smallish budget for. Yeah, that's where Rid- that's like where Ridley has basically worked the last twenty two years. <laughs> is there's like there is no low budget for Ridley Scott. Everyone oh yeah, got paid. Nick Cage probably got twenty million personally out of that. You oh, know. for sure. He's never going to do like the Robert Rodriguez thing where he's like, uh, I'm going to try to make a movie for like $12,000 for the hell it's, of it. It, it. it does not seem that Ridley, the luxuries of set and having everything at his disposal, it doesn't seem like he's going to be backtracking anytime soon. Yeah, he is 100%. He doesn't like, he doesn't like, he, he, he puts other limitations on himself. He, he won't, and, as a result of that, you know, like, be it like, you know, he's working with, like, a tough script that might not be already finished, or this or that, so I think he's, like, he's definitely, like, he likes competency, and I think that money purchases competence. And I think the reason he can work so much, and people like working with him so much, is that he does have, like, a strong, like, order on set. Like, yeah, they don't fuck around, there's no, like, hey, let's just try that, let's get it, like, let's see what happens, hey, maybe bring in this, it's there's no real nothing is really no. up to chance on these things there's no, no. like find it on the day <laughs> never it's not, really, a, not much of a, that with ridley scott he's a he's a little he's a little lord he has to have everything uh he has to have everything perfect he, his way baby which probably may have drawn him to the lead character in this uh mm. order an orderly man uh yes. but ridley's last three movies cannibal 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 <laughs> cannibal gladiator hannibal and black hawk down um, all like either critically, commercially, or both, utter home runs. Yeah, he's you know the Top days, of the world, the days of the white squalls and someone to watch over me is for the moment. For the moment, are are over for Ridley Scott. He has firmly planted both feet in the A list. Mm-hmm. You know, I would imagine around 2003, he was getting all the good scripts. Oh, they yeah. were coming, coming through Hollywood. They, they're all coming his way. Everyone wants he, to work with him. You know he read that Master and Commander script. You know someone handed him that bad boy. He oh, was looking at that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> with He's his like. This great frenemy, Russell Crowe. <laughs> <laughs> they were going to say Peter Ware for a second and yeah, allude to like them being like, like arch nemeses, which would be very. Humorous to me. But they were looking, I mean, um, according to the Nathan book, he was looking already looking for another collaboration 
with Russell Crowe. They're doing some sort of like Tripoli movie or something like that. Oh, that yeah. never came to pass. Um, but another like massive historical mm-hmm. epic movie. Um, Kingdom of Heaven. Spoiler or not spoiler. Uh, we're going to be covering within the next month or two. Oh, yeah. um, and, and that's that we're definitely covering the uh, not the theatrical version. We're going to watch the director's cut. And I wanted. Yeah, I guess we can tear that bandaid right now. I think uh, that would be a perfect episode to really dive deep on like the philosophy of director's cuts and Ridley Scott's relationship with director's cuts. So we'll talk about all that then, because he is a he is one of the more confusing directors when it comes to director's cuts as we talked yeah. about on blade runner uh you know check out the blade runner episode an episode that got not a ton of downloads and we probably put more work into that fucking episode than any of the other ones yeah that is definitely <laughs> disappointing <episode> disappointing <laughs> yeah we studied the most we, we read, read the most books. things yeah, yeah. we watched, watched like every kind of the damn movie <laughs> Like our blood, sweat, and tears in every uh, second of that podcast, and uh, the return was uh, negligible. Negligible. You guys just want to hear us to do spoofs and goofs on Con Air, I guess, instead. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we no, could just like, we love yeah. you. We love all of you, but we're you kidding. Know, if you ha- it, go back and check out the Blade Runner episode. It's good. Yeah. So, but Ridley Scott's top of the top of the world, top of his game. We've got pick of the litter. He's developing mm-hmm. Kingdom of Heaven. But I think he did want, I think the idea, like vacations, one word for it, palate cleanser is another way to put it. He did want to kind of take a left turn. I right. think like the tough part with him is I don't think he ever really, I think he doesn't want to be pinned down as a guy who does like just epics. That's yeah. I think he he doesn't like being uh, labeled. Yeah, he does not like. Yeah, he want he wants to continuously surprise people, and mm-hmm. sometimes that works. I mean, like, you know, just looking over the what we've covered thus far. I mean, Thelma Louise's stands is one of the best movies he's made that yes. we've seen thus far, and that certainly is not one you'd expect from him. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, the ones that stuck out, the ones we've liked the best, have been the the large scale epics or sci-fi pictures yeah kind of his big his bigger even like something like uh the duelists which despite being kind of like you know now it kind of feels like a modest film but for the um the resources he was given to make that film the scope of that film is huge like there is like a lot going on in that movie and it's about a very big moment in time so like yeah this is like he people just associate him with big it's one too that I feel um, it's grown fonder of my memory since we did that episode and covered it so long now, so long ago. But now God, I just yeah. keep thinking about it. I'm like, I like that one. That was a cool movie. Like it, it might be in my good. top three. It might be. I have to like go through all my Ridley. I mean, my top three Ridleys. I don't know if top yeah. three movies. Period. But it might. It might be third. <laughs> Citizen Kane, Casablanca, The yeah. Duelist. <laughs> The Godfather, the, the God, Godfather you know, Part Two, hit <laughs> the big, the big movies. You know what we're talking about? Yes, <laughs> the Apu trilogy. That's just one movie to me. And then, uh, for some reason, I wanted to say Nightmare Alley. I mean, a lot of people were a lot of people were saying like John Dielman winning Sight and Sound. Mm. Where was the Duelists? Where was the where's, Duelist? Where's Harvey Keitel with yeah. his weird 
his weird ponytails. Pigtails. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, when we when we think of Frenchmen, we think of Harvey Keitel. Hey, I'm eating a baguette over here. <laughs> yeah. Hey. <laughs> Hey, Francois, come on! Ah, <laughs> oh, Paris, the Big Apple! <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, anyway. <laughs> but somehow, um, you know, pick of the litter, he lands on Matchstick Men. Now, Matchstick Men mm. is based on a novel by Eric Garcia. Supposedly, it's quite dark, the book. It's a little no more noirish. Interesting. Which, um, you know, I'd like to check that out someday. Eric Garcia... Like so many novelists, ended up just kind of coming to Hollywood and staying in Hollywood. Long, yeah. long, hey, long hey. tradition. Also, uh, uh, also, just also, wrote and created that Kaleidoscope series on Netflix. Really? Yeah. Oh, hey, he also. I was going to also say he also wrote a a, a noir book series called Anonymous Rex. Yeah. <laughs> which is a world where dinosaurs didn't die, so there's a Velociraptor detective. <laughs> he's hey, you know what he's having fun he's I, having almost w- I, I almost wish you hadn't told me that <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was like a thing that when you hear it you kind of feel bad uh, you do you kind of like uh this yeah this, it, it, it's not like uh it's not like you know I, 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 maybe on a um in a different context you hear that and that's like oh that's a fun flight of fancy when you hear um, about him making something like Magic Man, and then you hear he's made something called Anonymous Rex, that does like, yeah, that's like finding out uh, Thomas Pynchon like writes uh, like a wrote, book about wrote, a wrote, they wrote the Carnosaur films for um, Roger Corman. <laughs> Quick, we need a Jurassic Park ripoff. <laughs> uh, get Pynchon on the line. Get Pynchon on the line. Um, but yeah i've not read the novel but the screenplay is by two brothers ted griffin and nicholas griffin Mm, ted griffin an actor i think he was in the gift Uh, also also wrote um oddly enough he wrote oceans 11 whoa and ravenous as well and uh yeah and he's in um he's in the wolf of wall street somehow oh my goodness um, but anyway, yeah, yeah, he co-created uh, Terriers, that show with Donna Loge, one, Academy Academy hero, Donna Loge. Man, that's a good, I watched that show when it was on TV. Uh, R.I.P. R.I.P. a good show. So, um, yeah, heavy hitter screenwriters. Basic mm-hmm. plotline of Matchstick Men is the story of Roy Waller, a car artist who somehow is able to be a brilliant con artist while also living with almost crippling Tourette's syndrome and OCD. Mm. Um, he has a partner who, and protege Frank Mercer, and they run short con. Mind you, this is a key, short cons. Um, we get a kind of details of their con to open the movie. They basically rip people off with water filtration systems, then get their bank account numbers. It's actually fairly clever. It's pretty good. Yeah. It's pretty good. I mean, it's, it's not nice. Not nice, but it's a good grift. Yeah, well, and uh, hey, it's it's working clearly because uh, uh, a certain actor has a certain uh, dog shaped bowl filled with uh, some petty cash. Yes, and um, but he Roy uh, begins his attacks get worse and worse. So he uh, Frank suggests he see a psychiatrist. 
probably red flag number one that his that Sam Rockwell Frank is the one suggesting psychiatrists uh, to yeah. Cage. No, um, yeah, yeah, maybe this is not this guy who I love. Something about Sam Rockwell's performance, like he he is play. It's such a like time capsule douchebag. Like he is a yeah. douchebag, but a douchebag of a certain era, and it is a uh, very only, well captured. Only only Sam Rockwell could have. He's the perfect casting. He's the only oh, guy for the yeah. for the role. Like and, and and it works out like yeah from everything from like that like I, I love when Nicolas Cage when uh, Sam Rockwell comes in with that Dwight Yoakam hat and Nicolas Cage like call because that's like calls him on a, it. Yeah, it's so good. It rules because it's like it's exactly that is such a dumb and that's like the type of hat an asshole would think was cool in two thousand three. <laughs> and Cage and Rockwell have such an easy rapport with each other. We'll talk more about the performances in just a moment here but um basically what happens mm-hmm. is through therapy we find out that roy has an ex-wife who he left who they broke up while she was possibly pregnant mm. and then days later um how fortuitous his 14 <laughs> year old daughter angela arrives with her skateboard 14 going on 25 14 going on 25 she's older than i am like allison Lovin's like four years older than i am crazy this is yeah, <laughs> i mean in like look, i was in college when this movie came out <laughs> it's so crazy it's so it's don said this before the podcast started but the, the steve buscemi we're alluding to perhaps the twist of the movie but there is a very like hey there my fellow kids vibe to yeah. her arrival in this movie <laughs> Yeah, and it's very like yeah. We'll get into it. And they put her with the skate. She's with the skateboard on the poster. Yes, very funny. It's a good. It's a. Here's a a point in this movie's uh, in this movie's uh, direction. Like a good, a good, like a good point to them. Uh, Great props in this movie. A lot of really fun. Like the pipe that like Bruce Altman, the uh, psychologist. Yeah, I like that. Uh, Yeah, and like yeah, everything from the dog dish to the. Oh, I love the dog dish. Yeah briefcases to like the sam rockwell's hat i mean it's a ridley movie there's no the look and design and everything like that is um spot on yeah it's kind of like as interesting as a movie like it has as interesting a production design as a movie like this can have almost in a in a weird way like it's very like as plain as the world he's trying, like there's just a there's just a lot of like there's like the deep like because the world is so plain, like all those really fun details pop, and I I appreciate that. But yeah, so basically, the movie what follows is that Roy finding letting another human being into his life, mm. and kind of the warmth he feels from that in his daughter, but also get him and Sam him and Frank getting involved in a um finally Frank talking. Roy into doing a long con, which Roy's never been uh, comfortable with. And the long con is, of course, against oh. uh, Academy Academy All-Star Chuck Frechette, played by Bruce McGill. God, great um, name, played by a great actor. Yeah, great name, great actor. And the second he arrives, you're like, you know what you're bringing to the table? I love it. Thank you. Great casting. Yeah. Loved it. You love to see it. Yeah, both of these, the, this movie and Deja Vu both have, like, they're great examples of great actors uh, elevating sometimes weaker moments in screenplays or weaker characters. Like, like Chuck Frechette, if you just got kind of like an average Joe to play or whatever, someone who doesn't pop like Bruce McKill, 
that character would be so less interesting. But because you have like someone with just like like Bruce McGill has so much gra- Bruce Bruce McGill Bruce McGill has so much gravitas that like he just mm. yeah you're like immediately like uh kind of interested in what the sleaze ball is doing. Well, also there's this feeling too. It's like I don't know this guy might not be a pushover. <laughs> Too. serious yeah yeah has... that this is gonna be hard mm-hmm. like this con that they're because he's like will be on to them at some point oh 100 yeah he's not like yeah he's not a he's not a spring chicken yeah no i mean you know it's like oh this guy's like yeah he he's no he's no rube that they're pulling yeah one over exactly on. yeah no ding dong poor elderly woman that they get <laughs> the beginning of the movie yeah, or the poor uh, middle-aged lady in the middle the, of the movie. At the, at the laundry mat, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, is, that one's the one where I'm like, oh, man, this is Played by mean. the terrific character actor Beth Grant. Oh, yeah. We've so seen good. in, you know, many things. Probably yeah. Mindy, Mindy Project, I think, is her most known thing. Uh, oh, get, getting to the cast, Nicolas Cage is the lead. He plays Roy Waller. Um, mm. Apparently Ridley's first and only choice for the role. Mm-hmm. Uh I'm tear this mandate fat. He's perfect. He's great. Like he's the highlight of the damn movie. He's the best part of the entire movie. Yeah, he has some great like uh I feel like there were bits I feel like I used to watch a bunch of like Nicolas Cage um freak out YouTube compilations when I was a kid and there were some choice clips from that that uh the pharmacy, that was the context. The pharmacy one like I'm gonna drink your blood or something. What is he saying? What is he saying? I don't know. It's like you're gonna you're gonna piss blood. I gotta piss blood. <laughs> it's so good. Like it's it's just his facial expressions are just incredible. It is like he rules. He rules. But what <laughs> makes it real so much to me? It's a very soulful performance because like the second he's so he understands everything he needs to do as an actor. He just goes big with it. But he understands the heart and soul of this movie and the entire movie rides on. And what you have to believe is that he falls in love with his daughter and like, like cares for her. Like that's the entire point. Everything rests on that. And you buy it completely. Yeah. Which is like, it's difficult. Like the cards are not in his favor when it comes to making that connection work because of the casting in some respects, but like they both sell um, it. The fact that the script is not delicate at all with any of his conditions and plays all of them for quirks rather than real. Oh yeah, difficult this, things that people live through. Yeah, this uh, sometimes this movie makes like Monk look uh, sensitive subtle and, and subtle. sensitive. Yeah, <laughs> which is kind of impressive. Uh, and yeah, I will say that as um, ridiculous and cartoony as that is portrayed at times, uh, I think he, like. He, he comes find, from like a real place. Yeah, he finds like a respectability in it. Yeah, that only the best actors can do. We're gonna talk about another leading actor in just a moment, doing the same with silly material in our oh, second movie sure. here. Like, this is why we like these guys. This is why they have stuck around. They can do this. Yeah. Well, they're like, you know, what's cool about them is like both of these lead actors are fucking professionals. Mm-hmm. They have maybe not like a material they're working with but they're doing their damnedest to sell it and both of them like pull it off to varying degrees of success absolutely absolutely uh also in the cast we briefly mentioned him playing roy's partner frank is the great sam rockwell i don't think um i'm not sure if we've uh 
done much with Sam on the show. I don't think we've covered too much. I've, I mean, Richard, obviously, he's in Richard Jewell, a movie we talk about a lot. <laughs> that is true. Show. One of the great, uh, great, one of the great, uh, late, great movies. <laughs> yeah, one of the great ladies' twins. Uh, we, we, oh, we didn't cover Light Sleeper for uh, the Schrader album. Oh, yeah. We he, didn't. Has a, he has a yeah. cameo, and that is like a punk. I love, that, I love yeah, his that cameo. Guy, and that... that guy dropped at the last minute for Doggy Dog, which hell i'm happy about that you know what that was fun we watched doggy dog and look i feel like people that are listening to our pod they already knew about light sleeper most likely they didn't know about doggy dog yeah uh sam is of course in the assassination of jesse james which we just joke which we just did some jokes about but Uh, yeah we haven't really um covered much of his work and uh great obviously great actor i think he is uh I think you could make a a full bracket with his performances at this point. I think he does have like enough like yeah. solid interesting. Yeah, cuz like yeah. I have no idea what would win either. Oh, which actually I don't know. cuz like with some of our other actors we've covered we've got we've always had kind of like you know, we watched Sophie's Choice like the first episode or something like that. <laughs> like, it's like yeah, like, that's just going to win. Gonna be, this one's going to be hard to this one's going to be tough to beat. Or, I guess with Al Pacino there was a lot of questions but even like and wesley snipes i still i still disagree with what won for wesley oh yeah hashtag new jack city was robbed (laughs) had new jack city was robbed yes Uh, being held to gunpoint by wesley himself yeah sam is uh perfectly cast as frank as the kind of like charismatic and interesting Mm -hmm. but definitely shifty partner Like, you know, from the second he's on screen, like, probably should not put all of your trust in Frank. Yeah, Frank has a couple errors in judgment uh, mm. that, <laughs> that made oh, Roy does. in the movie. Or Roy, sorry, yeah. my bad. Roy does, Roy does. Yeah, he, there's definitely multiple moments in the movie where it's like, mm, maybe you shouldn't be t- trusting as Sam Rockwell. Well, I think that with, that's like, what, he, that is, the, like, What's so nice about this movie, though, like at its core, and it's too—it's almost too underplayed. And only I think only Nicolas Cage gets it is that like the heart of this movie is about a guy mm. who's troubled, who but desperately wants human connection, and he's yeah. willing to like put up blind spots, like like actually risk something that he is a risk because he's so hungry for like love and connection in his life. That is actually a nice I like that. Yeah, it's like it's like um that actually kind of like makes sense too with it. Like he is like cause he's a smart he's a smart guy. Or at least you get that sense in the movie. But yeah, he is so alone. Yeah. That, yeah. He'll he's willing to take stupid risks that perhaps he would not take, you know, typically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's probably gonna that blind spot is probably what's gonna lead him to losses basically yep. is that does is that un, unrequited desire which who knows if ridley scott was really hip to that concept mm. but i definitely can tell you nicholas cage was like just based on how he performs the character yeah he it, there's definitely lived in elements to his performance yeah <laughs> and then our third lead is of course alice loman who plays angela the mm. long lost do- uh, daughter uh to roy um alice loman's such an interesting person uh you know huge like meteoric 
rise in the early 2000s, starting with White Oleander mm. as her breakout movie. But she's in stuff like, you know, Big Fish, Beowulf, oh. Things We Lost in the Fire, the awesome Drag Me to Hell. Um, yeah. Bunch of stuff. But then basically around um, 2009, she was just like, I got married. We had some kids and I'm done. We got money. We're fine. He did. You know who she married? Nelva Dean from Nelva Dean yeah. and Taylor. Yeah. Crazy. That yeah. is, she married the gamer guy. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking crank. The crank. crank. Yeah. She's Mrs. Crank. Yeah, she's Mrs. Crank. <laughs> Christmas with the cranks. I know. Oh, man. Like, crank rules. Both of oh, them do. Both for of them sure. are awesome. Yeah, yeah. 100%. What did uh, Armand Ar- Armand White called Nelvody and Taylor um, like the greatest avant-garde filmmakers of their era? Uh, God bless Armand White, like a guy who's a total crank. Who is like I feel like he kind of went off the deep end like a decade ago, and he went from being like a run-of-the-mill crank to just kind of a a toxic crank a little well, bit. I mean, but... it's a it's the, it's the Trump era yeah if you you were like skirted the line on being a conservative crank and a contrarian like Mm -hmm. this like trump arrived the floodgates were open for all of these people just to like let their freak flag fly completely and there's no subtlety or nuance to their lunacy anymore and it's it's not as fun like when he wrote those essays about like how norbit was better than there will be blood and stuff like that or like yeah. when like he considered like like the best I think like, like I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry is like better than any Jacques Tati film. Yeah, I know <laughs> like, I don't pronounce you Chuck and Larry. A far more nuanced look at male friendship than Sideways. <laughs> you know? yeah, that is literally an essay that's, he would I'm write. Sure, that he is... wrote that. Like that sounds like we may have read that essay, <laughs> but For yeah, sure. truly like a true like classic pre-internet lunatic. Mm-hmm. But then the internet, as it did for most of these people, made them just awful. And yeah, poisoned his brain permanently. Poisoned his brain permanently. It ha- it yeah. It happens to the best of us. It happens to the best of us. It's probably gonna happen to me in ten years. I'm gonna like see like an errant like I don't know like clip from like the Jimmy Fallon show, and it'll push me over the edge, and I'll become the Joker. It's gonna yeah. it can happen to all of us. It can happen, you know, we all have a little bit of Joker in us. Y'all have a little bit of Joker. But, uh, so those are our three leads. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, by all accounts, this was a easy breezy production. Everyone had a good time. Mm -hmm. Like, everyone was happy with it. Uh, Some of the the behind-the-scenes people, John Matheson returns as cinematographer, uh, worked with Ridley Scott on many projects. Uh, Probably most, you know, Gladiator, probably his most uh, celebrated uh work with ridley hmm. but um also did uh hannibal kingdom of heaven robin hood a few others you know i know ridley's with darius wolski now pretty much permanently but had a nice run um film was edited by dody dorn uh yeah. i think this if looking at the way this like lined up so dody dorn did memento and insomnia for chris nolan and probably mm. was going to be Chris Nolan's person. 
Ridley essentially stole them for the next four years, which led to Chris <laughs> Nolan working with Lee Smith for the Ooh. for every every movie until Tenet, because Lee Smith moved over and started working with Sam Mendes on 1917, and has now Sam Mendes's person. The same vein wow. that Chris Nolan worked with Hans Zimmer on everything through Tenet until Denny Villeneuve took. Hans Zimmer for Dune. Man. And speaking of Hans Zimmer, Hans Zimmer is, of course, back as the composer on Matchstick Men. Uh, this time seems to be ripping off Nino Rota's Fellini music. Combined with, in the dramatic scene, it's literally his cue uh, Journey of the Line from Thin Red Line. Wow, like, that is very that is a, an interesting thing to include in this uh, this uh, lighthearted caper film. Yeah, when when it gets serious, it turns into this like yeah he uses like it sounds exactly like his stuff from Thin Red Line, which is you know I I'm a Hans Zimmer fan, but and he I guess you can't do this many scores without kind of repeating yourself. <laughs> Sometimes you go back to the... I mean, I bet like a lot of those... Uh, who's like that French uh, composer that Alexandre does like... Alexandre Desplat? Yeah, Desplat. I bet like half of Alexandre Desplat's yeah. scores sound exactly alike. Yeah, and, and, and you hire these guys. Like, his stuff you hire for like... You, he does stuff like Wes Anderson movies and The Shape of Water and mm-hmm. Benjamin Button. Like, these like kind of fantastical but dramatic... Mm-hmm movies you know and Hans Zimmer you hire for um like sci-fi epics action yes. epics that kind of thing big big shit explosions Ex- explosions you know how it goes yeah. um so now we're gonna kind of get into discussing the end of this movie mm. I think I think it's time so basically as they're running the long con on Bruce McGill things go sideways Pretty quickly, everything kind of comes together because Angela is now a part of the long con. Mm-hmm. Bruce McGill shows up at Nicolas Cage's house mm. with a beat up Sam Rockwell. Oh, man, what are we going to do? Well, Angela grabs a gun and shoots Bruce McGill. Oh, it's out of con- it's totally out of control. But Bruce is not dead. and He bashes Nicolas Cage in the head. Cage wakes up in the hospital. What's going on? Where's Angela? Where's Roy? Or where's Frank? All like he's confused. He's got this hilarious like, <laughs> sock on his head. It looks like a do rag. It's crazy. <laughs> he wears it for multiple scenes. It's like a it's like a mix between a do rag and a condom. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like that would be your first guess. Like I'm wondering. Like there are a lot of people in on this. He's got a lot of actors. See, that's what I'm, yeah. That's okay, like a, we're jumping ahead a little bit on our questions on how this entire thing actually works. Um, he gets up. He's in this hospital room. He's getting questioned by the feds. What's going on? I don't know. I don't know. Then he wakes up, and it seems like, what's going on in this room? Every, everything's, like, gone. It's like, it's really hot in here. It's so it's really hot. hot in here. It's hot. Oh, also, we have to say, too, uh, before the feds come, his he, he makes a call to his psychologist or psychiatrist and gives him his like bank account number. Don't do that. Rule one: don't give your psychiatrist your bank account number. He's already given you placebo drugs and freely admitted to it. What was that? 
like it was like soy menopause and insane. Yeah, yeah. it's like I'm going breasts. <laughs> like <laughs> he's like he's like the, the the guy the bad guys in the longest yard. Yeah, I know. It's it was so <laughs> weird. weird. Yeah, and he I, if he's having soy menopause pills, he's probably having some strange effects on his internal chemistry. Yeah, to begin's going on. Yeah, Mama Mia. going on. Mama Mia. So he um gets up he strolls out. Uh, we get a look at Nicolas Cage's tush. Uh, that <laughs> I do love a good uh, Cage ass. That was very yeah. funny. It is like <laughs> seeing him like going around. Just his pants have literally been. He's been yeah, he is literally has no pants. Um, <laughs> he exits his hospital room. It's a damn trailer that's on top of like a garage, like a parking garage. In the middle of- <laughs> what? It's like, why? This seems like so much work. He has enough money to hire a taxi cab to take him all over Los yeah. Angeles, where he discovers a series of polite notes from Sam Rockwell telling him he got his ass long conned. Yeah. And <laughs> all of his savings, all of his dough, everything is gone. And the psychiatrist was an actor. The FBI guys were an actor. I still couldn't tell you what Bruce, if Bruce McGill, like, what, you know, was, was just collateral an... damage or an actor. Yeah, and was then... that like a, a like a blank that uh, like that Angela shot? Like, who knows? Yeah, but unfortunately, the biggest reveal is that Angela was an actor, not really his daughter. And as we all suspected, was a twenty-five-year-old woman. <laughs> yeah, she was an actual grown woman. An which... Actual grown woman, as we suspected. Um, poor Roy is like shattered and heartbroken. When I yeah. saw this movie in two thousand three, I was shattered and heartbroken. I hated this movie. I thought it was like I had the rug pulled from under me. Guess what? I realized I dislike Nicolas Cage that much, and I felt for him. Because I and I hadn't seen that this was the second time I ever saw the movie, and I realize it now that I because I knew the twist. I was like, oh, the reason I was so heartbroken is because I like Nicolas Cage so much. I didn't like to see him get hurt. Yeah, you just felt bad. You just had empathy for the Cage Man. Yeah, I had had empathy for the character, which I guess makes for a good movie. It's like, although, yeah, yeah, it is like, well, and it's like one of those things too, where like it just there's so much going on, yeah. Sam Rockwell has employed like five to sit, like, you know, four to five people to work yeah. under him. Yeah. And this huge scheme for Nicolas Cage's money, which he's got a lot of money, but I mean, it's not like, it's not like they're robbing the bank from heat level money or something. No, like I that. think he, they, I think it like, you know, levels off at like a million dollars, which yeah, not which even is, one person can like live off that really. A good score, but like, all those people, like, what did he tell them? How much money? Like, it's a payout that he would have give had to give to like his like six member team and all like the financial needs to pull off the long con. Did he even make a profit? I don't even. I mean, he yeah, clearly like, never. He clearly never paid anyone on his team. He just yes. took off. You know, there yeah. is that. There, they, 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 they alluded to that. Too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but that's but he even then because he, he was and they should have been on to him for that because it's like how on earth was I going to like there's not enough money to go around here for any of us to like really put in the time and effort like he had to rent all that hospital equipment that's a that's an expense oh for sure uh you got to pay for Bruce Altman's pipe 
Yeah, in Bruce Altman's <laughs> room because of yes, the psychiatrist, of course, is on the is is he's a schemer. <laughs> the scheming say it's so psychiatrist. It, like listen to Tom Cruise, psychiatry is a scam. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. Just kidding. <laughs> listen to, hey, listen to our boy Tommy. Just kidding. I I disagree with that. But JK, um, JK. don't give your psychiatrist your safety deposit box and account and bank account information. That could be that should probably be a red flag. Yeah, that's, that's a, yeah they're not a great psychiatrist if they're asking for that. Yeah. All I need is three forms of ID and your social security number. Uh, really? Because I don't like my dad? <laughs> like, yeah, like... Uh, <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> what was it like growing up in, uh, you know, pa- Paris, Texas? And also, uh, please write <laughs> the password to your Bank of America account. Yeah. I'm sure, they ex- I'm sure there's been plenty of oh, con artists in that pro- profession. But, uh, so... Roy is shattered. We cut to mm-hmm. one year later. Uh and I in Ian Nathan's book he kind of suggests this and you know other and I see this that this feel does feel like we need a happy ending tacked yeah. on and we're not entirely certain how to do a happy ending. It's very movie. like uh do you think it's like kind of like uh the Morgan's last line Morgan Freeman's last line in seven, where it's like we have I mean, to do something to kind of like uh, like to like brighten this thing up because it's like where does he go from here like all i could think is like does he just go for revenge and kill everybody <laughs> yeah is he gonna do a kill bill on <laughs> yes like i got a kill list i got bruce altman i've got angela question mark yeah. i don't know if she was angela <laughs> sam rockwell you know yeah down but, the line. Uh, chuck Rochette, is he still alive <laughs> don't know gotta find out don't know so we but we cut to one year later. Instead, um, he's uh, Nicholas Cage is now an all-star rug salesman at a rug superstore. Yes, a classic thing that you do see a lot in LA is that is that rug store that's perpetually going out of business, but never actually goes out of business. Yeah, like, there's there's always like a fifty percent off sale for yeah, some reason. Yeah, everything must go. But we like, where did all these rugs come from? Like. I went. Jen and I went to one like two weeks ago. I was oh. confused by the entire thing, and she's like, "What do you think?" I'm like, "I have never critically thought, positively or negatively, about a rug before in my life. It's just never in my forty years occurred to me to yeah, like it's... like analyze rugs at all. <laughs> so I don't know. I have no idea. You pick one. Like seriously, yeah, <laughs> like... I pretty. Pretty, like when it comes to rugs like i'm pretty uh i'm pretty rug neutral like i mean i yeah. like, like they'll, they can you know to quote our boy mr lebowski they can tie a room together tie and a room together but it's like yeah i've never like i've never maybe you know jen has purchased some for our homes but like prior to being with her i never like thought about buying one yeah, I've, uh, you know what, I will say I have, like, uh, I've thought about buying them just because, like, you know, wood floors and stuff like that. It's nice to have a rug so you're not scratching yeah. stuff with, like, uh, your furniture. And uh, that's true. Sometimes, yeah, and then sometimes it's nice just to have something that's on the floor that's, like, a nice contrast to everything else. But I'm not, yeah, I'm not, like... I'm not thinking about it all day. Rug, rug is like easily when it comes to like home decor. That's like the one I'm least concerned about. That's yeah. like the last thing I'm getting, and it's usually an afterthought. <laughs> that was hey. um, another episode of Rug Talk. Yeah, rug uh, chat. 
Well, rug chat, <laughs> two guys talking rugs. So <laughs> Nicolas Cage works at a rug store now. And um, mm-hmm. did you see who the boyfriend was? Yes. Oh, so, my God. Fran Kranz from uh, some people would know him from Cabin in the Woods. Other people would know him. Patrick, maybe most of all, would know him as the writer director of Patrick's number one movie a couple years ago, Mass. So that I was like, yeah, that guy's going to write the saddest movie I've ever seen one day. And you know what else is fascinating about him? He and I share a birthday. Hey. So. Wow. Happy birthday to you. You're one year older than me, friend. But um, to the day. You turned one the day I was born. Think about that. Anyway. <laughs> he shows up. He's like, I, I don't know. He's He's kind of like us. Guy yeah. doesn't know much about rugs. He's gonna pay for doof. it, but a fun doof. like I'm confused. Mm-hmm. And he's like, uh, Nicholas Cage is like a good salesman. He's like, yeah. yeah, man. Like, let's have fun with this. He's yeah. <laughs> love it. His girlfriend walks in, and I felt this inappropriate because we have seen her portrayed as a 14 year old. This entire movie really decides that she now that we know she is a woman. We're gonna have her enter as sexy as humanly possible. <laughs> it's it's weird. This it's is yeah weird. It's, it's not yeah. This her whole character. I want to say this. I think it's a character that is easy. Uh, makes more sense or is easier to uh, write on paper. It's easier to like believe that character in a book. Yeah. Than to watch it IRL because you have to jump through a very specific set of hoops that uh you that are difficult to jump through to say the yeah. least. Yeah. I almost wonder if you should have cast like a like a mature looking 14 year old. That's and then what I was her thinking at the end say she was 25. Yeah, like do an age, orphan. Age her yeah, orphan. Yeah, an orphan situation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah classic orphan. This is and, like she's serious. Oh, that's a big spoiler, but a good one. A good movie. Oh, no. Movie. Oh, no. <laughs> sorry. Sorry, orphan heads. I'll put a, you know what? I'll put a beep on that. I'll put a beep on that. <laughs> the movie's it's, it's orphan's been out for a while. And yeah, it's, 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 most people I think are aware that orphan had an interesting twist to it. Yeah. You know what? And saw freaking, uh, the baddie, the baddie was on the ground the whole time. Sorry, yeah. guys. Oh, man. It's what a good ending that is. Game over. Oh, God. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> anyway, so she comes in. They recognize each other, but you know what? Nicholas Cage is a different guy, and he. But you know what the thing is? Her entire story that she gives him could be complete bullshit. But again, this goes back to him being so desperate to be a family man. Yeah, looks <laughs> <laughs> bu- buys everything she says. Yeah, it, it was just one con, and I love you, Dad. And she's like. See, and when she says, see you soon, Dad, it pulls at the heartstrings. Yeah. And they cut back to Nicolas Cage with his puppy dog face, like, yeah, I, I, I still love you. You know what? And I think, like, in a way, uh, it's a happy ending for Cage there because, like, he's free. In a way, Frank freed him from being a cod man. He no longer has yeah. to, like, be in that world. And he I li- think that he can live a honest American life, which, of course, leads to there's a there was a cute grocery store cashier that he goes Mm -hmm. and sees throughout the movie um guess what they're married 
Yeah. She's with she's with child. He's gonna be a dad. This oh. is like, come on, movie. This isn't you can't this is like have them be on it be like make it be like a third dater. Like this is like too much of a Cause that here's the thing, she's pregnant. That means they like they like got together really quickly. Really it's only been quickly. a year. He got over <laughs> being grifted by everyone he knew quick enough to say, Hey, we want to go out on a date, and then they've like very quickly got married. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> is it just like is it like is it like a a, a knocked up situation where it's like where they find out they're pregnant? Like, I guess we'll make it work. I don't yeah, know. I don't see him having drunken one night stand sex. Ever. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't see him. Yeah, don't see him having drunken one night stands. I don't see him uh, talking about the Roy's movie Munich thing. Yeah. Oh, Munich! Um, <laughs> I love Munich. That's very. That's. Some of that stuff is not aged well. That's still a very, very funny bit that those guys are all really into Munich. That is like genuinely, yeah, that might be, uh, in, that's easily in my top three favorite Jet episode moments is that, that hanging. <laughs> Just them talking about Munich. That's yeah. maybe them at their least toxic too, those characters. It's, yeah, but it's like, it is very funny. It's like, just to take that as like, no, they're heroes. <laughs> you know, like yeah. Oh, totally. Good. Just to, yeah. like on, yeah, on it. Like just they're just watching it on its nose, and like, yeah, yeah. those are the goodies. Nothing, yeah, nothing. Yeah, nothing else to talk about in this film. No <laughs> other even, social political context. Thinking about the end of the movie where Eric Ban is having the conversation in front of the fucking two towers, <laughs> like <laughs> about like, what do, what do you think what we did was right? I don't know. We'll see. Maybe in twenty years we'll know. <laughs> are we the baddies? Are we the bad? Yeah. Anyway, um, oh, man. so cut to the cut to the credits and cut to me saying, "Did I watch 160 minutes of a movie there?" Wow, I, I don't even know what happened. Like there was part of me that was like felt like I went to McDonald's and had four cheeseburgers and mm. was still like, "Did I even eat dinner?" Like, yeah, it does feel like the cinematic equivalent to like a meringue or something or like those like you know those like. Those like cookies, I think they're like that meringue or whatever. In, that have like no dough in them or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, they melt in your mouth immediately. It's like it's almost like they're sugar or something, yeah. and they just melt. It's like cotton candy. This is like cinematic yeah. cotton where you you eat it, and it's like I did eat a thing, and my mouth is like sticky sweet, and my hands are sticky, but I am not, I'm not satiated. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, I, it, I don't know. It was, it was, it's so weird, and I think it's just kind of because it's like. It's just it, again. It's like a, it's a low hum movie. Yeah, and yeah. it's it's such a bummer because like I was actually kind of going into this thinking I'd be pleasantly surprised. Like if you go in like Letterbox, there's it has like we, a three point five. People like people it. People like this movie. Yeah, people. Yeah, people it, do it, like this movie. It it has its fan base, but I think yeah, I think like for me especially, I think it's just like the Angela character is just too weird and like much of a that whole thing is just too much of a. Um, of a leap for me to like, just like you watch it, and from the get go, you're immediately like, she's a woman pretending to be a, a fourteen year old, and that's like a weird thing. And it makes sense, I guess, in the end, but then that makes you like, you know, really like question Nicolas Cage's like, come on, like you should have known. It's very I'm weird. Not, I don't I'm know. Not sure how much I love movies that um. The entire thing hinges on a twist. Mm. Like, like I like Seven's twist because it like is in line with the movie. Like, yeah, it, it, well, 
fits that it's not like shoehorned in. It's like it is it is the actual natural conclusion to the movie. <laughs> it's not like um yeah, it feels like sometimes twists can be like um they can come out of nowhere or they can feel uh like unexpected but not in a good like like devo- it's kind of like I feel like I had that feeling when I watched The Village. Mm-hmm. Like the end, the twist. Of the- Although to be fair, I feel like M Night Shyamalan, his like stock has gone up recently. Yeah. I might have to do a rewatch of The Village at some point, and maybe I, I, yeah. I've been interested in doing some rewatching on his stuff too. I actually haven't seen a lot of it. That's like to actually tell the truth. I haven't. I've never seen The Village. I've never seen really? Signs. I've never seen Signs. I've never I, seen I, Signs. Is no. good. I'll stick by Signs, even if that like. I feel like some people didn't like the surprises in that film, but I think like science does a good job of like, you know, like it's kind of like, it's not as like clean as seven, but like, it, I feel like everything, like nothing is too crazy when it happens. He's a town. I mean, I, yeah, I think of six Sense and lady in the water are the only two I've mm-hmm. ever seen of his movies. Wow. Six Sense. <laughs> Those are such two. You haven't even seen unbreakable. No, no, I, I started it, started it, never finished it. That's fair. I mean, yeah. I, I want to. I, yeah, yeah, I just, I, yeah, it was, yeah, and Lady in the Water because I was just renting everything that came mm-hmm. out at that time period, so we rented gotcha. it. Gotcha. We didn't like it, and that was that. Um, it's but okay. yeah, like yeah. I think like because these movies, like twist movies, don't feel organic to me. They have to be so um, architecturally constructed in their own mm. way. Because yeah, it, because it's all hinges on that. Like people said that about like, you know, Usual Suspects is so. It's based on that one trick. That's all. It, that's kind of all it is. Right. Like, you know, and I think like even like like Ryan Johnson stuff works in that same vein. It's like all like it's this meticulous construction mm-hmm. that almost doesn't feel like organic because of it. Right. And it's it's funny because like yeah like I'm fine with that sometimes. I can I'm I'm comfortable with like a movie feeling like a um I think it is like yeah I think like the thing is is that like I want characters that feel real and I want to be invested in those characters and when you're more um invested in like yeah the process mm-hmm. uh or like yeah or the the magic box or whatever the reveal yeah. or whatever then like the story I guess yeah that can sometimes be like. Uh, frustrating. It's like, yeah, because it's like, yeah, you showed me this cool trick, but then why do I care about like, it? I need to like, yeah, yeah. exactly, because I need to, I need to be invested in the world and too. Think and one I think, thing that yeah. this movie does have though is Nicolas Cage does ground it in yeah. that. Listen, the He's... next, the next movie actually works in a very similar way. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, I'm ex- I'm excited to talk about it. It's uh, a, I, yeah. Yeah, me too. We're gonna we'll get to it in just just a, just a moment here. A few more facts to draw. Ooh, baby. This movie uh, played at the Venice Film Festival, premiering September 2nd, 2003. Ten days later, mm. came out in the United States on September 12th, 2003. But you can tell it's like releasing really the, really the Venice Film Festival. Like, I think that they thought they might have some, smell that, awards potential. Mm, got a Mr. Gladiator here. Could be, Hello, Mr. Could Gladiator be. is here. Um, movie opened in second place at the U.S. box office. Uh, 13 million per theater. Ultimately lost that number one position to Robert Rodriguez's Once Upon a Time in Mexico. Ooh, uh, 
made uh, 36.9 million domestically and 65.5 million worldwide on a uh, $62 million budget. So not a smash Mm -hmm. by any means, but I don't think that they, you know, I think that the audience to something like this is a little more limited than it at Hannibal or um, Gladiator. Yeah, it doesn't have that like epic scope uh, that a Scott film of this time would, you know, typically invite. You know, it doesn't, like, it doesn't, like, it doesn't have the draw or appeal of like, yeah, like a bigger, a bigger large scale film. And uh, so it has an eighty-two percent on Rotten Tomatoes. That's not bad. The website's great critical consensus reads breezy and well acted. Meshigman focuses more on the characters than on the con. Mm. Sure, sure. Yeah, I'll give it to you. Uh, Ebert loved it. Four out of four stars. Described as so absorbing that whenever it cuts away from the plot, there's another better plot to cut to. And he recommended the film for several Oscar nominations. Most notably, Nicolas Cage's performances, performance, and the script. Honestly, the Nicolas Cage one, I would not be mad if he was nominated. Good, good performance. Yeah, I think, just... yeah, I think it's a really good performance. Uh, Renee Graham of the Boston Globe criticized the film for its sentimentality, writing that director really Scott goes all gooey in this off-key adaptation of Eric Garcia's cynical novel. Uh, Graham was not fond of Cage, writing that he is more irritating than interesting, and the film follows a similar style. Ouch. Get Ouch. out of here, Graham. Get uh, out of here. Similarly, Lou... Um, Lumenick of the New York Post praised <laughs> the film's acting, but know that the viewer may end up feeling as suckered as Roy's victims. Here's one in 2003 who felt that way. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is a ludicrous reveal. That is so, it is just crazy. It yeah. is just, and yeah. he didn't like the twist ending, believing that it was a large detractor to the film's value. I think that you're, I think that that bottom line, after an hour of talking about this movie, um, if you like the twist and buy it, you will like this movie. Mm-hmm. If you do, if you don't like the twist and don't buy it, you will be lukewarm at best on this movie. Yeah, I think that that sums it up. I think I agree with you. Pretty pretty accurate. Yeah, I think that that's the best way to think about it. But uh, you're not thinking about it. Our favorite non-reflective director, Ridley Scott, because he's already moved on. And begun production, casting, building out, finishing the script on 2005's Kingdom of Heaven, his next film. And going back into the loving arms of like chainmail and swords and, and, you know, British people playing all sorts of people in the Middle Ages. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of British people in like Southern Europe and Yeah, you know, <laughs> probably filming in Malta, like you know. Oh yeah. Like you gotta be in Malta for these kinds of things. You know, he's you know, you know our homie Ridley Scott's partying it up in Malta, partying it up in Morocco. It, he's having you a know, blast. You know how it goes. We but like we said, we will get into details on Kingdom of Heaven, you know, in the weeks to come. In a big mm. way, we'll take a look at it. I'm a little wary. <laughs> the director's cut's 194 minutes, man. Oh, oh no, that is oh. a little. I'm a little scared. Uh, oh. 
Aww. Yeah. Please, please, please be really I, uh, good. I'm already feeling. I'm already feeling pooped. <laughs> I'm so tired. We've been doing this so long. Orlando Bloom for 194 minutes. Oh no. I, I don't know. Like, he's a he's a charming guy, but I don't know if he can hold the movie. I don't. Can he hold? Can he hang on for 194 minutes? But who? You know who can? Here's a transition for you, Denzel Washington. <laughs> cast him in Kingdom of Heaven. Yeah, cast him in Kingdom of Heaven. As this character, cast him as Frank Carlin. <laughs> I went Frank, too far uh, back in time. Frank Carlin, because he's got to do his little New Orleans thing. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I don't know if you caught that. Carlin, I did not. I did yeah. not. That's awesome. Okay, awesome. another point. Is that Frank, he's he's Doug. Doug Carlin. Doug Carlin. Carlin. Okay, maybe he's gone from a three point five to a four. Yeah. All right. So we're cutting to the year 2006 with Tony Scott's film Deja Vu. We get a lot mm-hmm. of good cross. So Tony is, of course, coming off of perhaps pushing things a little too far over the edge in the Tony Magical Mystery Tour style yeah. with Domino last week's film. Um, Domino, as we mentioned, not a success critically or financially. So, as we've seen in the past with films like Revenge mm-hmm. or even True Romance, hmm. what does Tony do when he doesn't have it? wants to keep working, keep doing his thing? He go, he comes crawl, coming crawling back to the loving arms of our favorite mega producer Jerry Bruckheimer. Oh yeah, <laughs> who. 2006, Jerry's still riding high, getting shit greenlit, crazy movies, right and oh, left. Yeah. He's, he's coming off of maybe his biggest successes yet with the Pirates of the Caribbean films. It's, um, Jerry's still, you know, a five He's on top of the world. Yeah. Home run hitter producer, you know, doing it, doing it his way. And so Jerry, as always, is looking for high impact. High concept screenplays. Oh, yeah. And he has just begun working on the Pirates of the Caribbean films with a screenwriter by the name of Terry Rossio. Mm. Um, and we read some interesting stuff in our book, Filmmaker on Fire, uh, by Tony Scott. Terry Rossio has been work- had been working in Hollywood since 1989. He wrote mm. a film entitled Little Monsters with Howie Mandel and Fred Savage that... I've watched a ton on video. I've seen, I've never watched it, but yeah. I've seen that. It, it's such a blockbuster Hollywood video movie video case to me. Like, I just, I, the, the blue Howie Mandel monster. It's in my brain I, I forever. Was like, I was like seven, eight years old when this movie came out. This is like. Perfect age. This is, yeah, this is what you want to watch when you're that, you know, come on. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I haven't seen it since. I probably would not. I don't care. I don't want to see it. I don't. I have no nostalgia to go back. But you know, and you I, were, I also you... would tell you, Patrick, you probably would watch it like this is stupid. As an adult <laughs> who missed it when you were a kid, yeah, so it is. A... That, I think I've mentioned this before. I have this friend who saw Goonies for the first time at like twenty six, and he was like, "The fuck was that?" Like, was oh like, yeah, yeah. I was like, "Oh, you probably did need to see this at 10. Yeah, have that definitely... feeling. Those feelings for it. Yeah, there's definitely examples of movies where you watch them and you're like, oh, I loved this when I was like six or yeah. seven or whatever. And then you watch and you're like, hmm, maybe uh, 
maybe the Hercules animated cartoon doesn't hit quite the same way when you're a grown man paying yeah, taxes. Like <laughs> speaking of animated, um Oh, I'm sorry. I just re uh, uh, I guess Terry Rossi is like an anti-vaxxer who used the n-word on Twitter recently. No, <laughs> Terry, 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 don't. Sorry, I got stunned. I'm sorry, I'm like reading this in real time. I'm like, oh, oh, I'm okay. I'm on the um, I too. I'm on the uh, on <laughs> the Wikipedia page. Yeah. This is a, a, a this academy, is a different scoop. <laughs> the academy scoop that, like, it's a difficult paragraph to even like comprehend. I'm like, what? Uh, this is okay. Here? I might delete what. <laughs> this is the first time I've ever seen uh, just the Edward spelled out on Wikipedia. Yeah, Being crazy. Oh, yeah. Uh, Terry, yeah, he, uh, he, 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 uh, he gets Shrek canceled. Never gonna watch. You hear to you hear to hear first, folks. Oh, okay. So what he basically said apparently is that um, because it seems as if he felt that people who are anti-vax were being treated like that that was a slur at the same level. <laughs> my man, I no, no. Oh, that that's. Uh, my heart goes out to all the parents of vaccine damaged children. This was in his apology that he made a mistake for. Oh, these guys are total. Like, isn't um one of the co-writers of Transformers like a total yeah. lunatic too? There, yeah. it is like it's so. You funny. Know what it is about this kind of filmmaking that like reactionaries like not only love to watch these movies but also like make them it i think just like extreme success in a vacuum cooks your brain it cooks yeah. your brain like it, it well it, or at least it has the potential because you look at like this guy is one of the the hottest he was what or i think he this still is like one of the hottest. a ton of stuff yeah i mean i think he's still like you know did he's like wrote on the new upcoming Godzilla and Kong movie. He still works. He like a hundred percent like oh god, that is so uh and he's I probably mean, like yeah he wrote yeah you're we're gonna list we'll his, talk uh, about some of his credits but like I mean his very next movie was he wrote the animated Aladdin. He wrote he, Yeah which is like that's Mask good. Zorro. He wrote Godzilla he wrote oh Small god. Soldiers he wrote on Shrek. Yeah he I think your, he was nominated your, for an Oscar. Yeah, your favorite Shrek Oh yeah, yeah, Shrek up there, up there with the uh, uh, what was the movie we were talking about earlier? My brain's pudding. Yeah. Uh, but he, it doesn't he, uh, matter. He did. Uh, the big thing I remember is he and co-writer Ted Elliott wrote the Pirates of the Caribbean mm -hmm. script, which you know Pirates of the Caribbean was like. We'll talk yeah. about it soon. It's on, folks. It's on the list to get covered because oh, yeah. we got we have to cover that one. Um, got it. Yeah, get, yeah, get some to, rum, to buddy. Yeah, yo ho ho. Um, <laughs> huge smash. I mean, and I mean, crazy, like out of this world sensation movie. I mean, it put Johnny Depp like he's like number one. Like probably like the like he for a brief spell he was like the number one guy. Yeah, I would say that, like, yeah, after Pirates of the Caribbean, he became the, like, he was the most popular act, like, for probably, like, not ten even, years. like, hey, ten years, yeah, a decade, yeah. easily. Take a decade. It is so funny, like, I drive a Lyft sometimes, and, like, he, 
he is the actor that comes up the most when I have conversations with people about movies, which is really there's like he like the people love him. It's well, that, very like, weird. Remember when like that trial was going on last year? Like Johnny Depp Twitter fans are some of the craziest people. Oh, in the lunatics. world, yeah. I think yeah, true. True ghoulish behavior from those people. It is like insane. They make, it is the, like... they make the Snyder cut people seem rational and normal. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. They I I would rather can't believe I'm saying this, would rather hang out with a a room full of Snyder cut heads any day of the week. I would I would wait uh in line uh for in line for a ride at disneyland like a three-hour wait in line with a bunch of snyder freaks just shitting on everything that a bunch of johnny depp supporting chuds (laughs) the the internet has created some strange communities but few stranger than the johnny depp did nothing wrong uh community (laughs) Like, what? look, you, like, it's yeah, regardless think, of what happened, he seems like a troubled guy. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, like, it's like, and it's like, look, like, and I understand, like, liking his performance. Like, he's a good actor, whatever. But, like, he's he I was know. in the wrong, clearly. Yeah. Like, I don't know. We don't have to get. I don't know. We don't this. know. We don't know. It's not yeah. our business. That is like that. At the end of the day, I just it's not our business. Yeah. And also just don't. I don't want to get doxxed by freaks. So yeah, whatever, yeah, he's we're great. Done, we're done. Leave it's us over. alone. Leave right, us... So uh, the Terry Rose. Let's put us in a funk. Yeah, put us in a funk. <laughs> we're we're, we're <laughs> get out of it. We'll get out. Yeah, my tummy hurts now. So, oh god! <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like that is like the scariest thing to read on Wikipedia pages. Is like views on vaccination. It's like, uh oh. Like, uh, yeah, that's never. They never put it in there for a good reason. Like they're never, never like this guy tri- loves it. Triple vaxxed has continued to live their life. No, it's like the, that when you're quick digression. We another digression, but when you told me you were watching the more the merrier the other oh night, this was this was a very very funny text exchange between Patrick and I. Dingle. He's Patrick's watching more the merrier. I watched it a few weeks ago. We both liked it. It's this like yeah. 30, 40, 30s, 40 screwball comedy with John T. Rump. Yeah, George uh, Stevens directed, Joel McRae, Gene Arthur, and this actor, Charles Coburn, who he plays this guy, Dingle, which, and he's very funny and like charming in the yeah. movie. <laughs> Fun old goofball, and I, the first thing I texted that is, I want to hang out with this yeah, guy. Yeah, I love Dingle. I, I love, love this Dingle. guy. He's great. And I had seen this movie like four weeks ago, and I looked him up on Wikipedia because I thought he was charming too. Well, not so charming in real life. And I let Patrick know, and we're just like, oh god, yeah. <laughs> he was part of some unsavory organizations, and yeah. he can connect the dots. Well, we'll just put it this way. He was born in Georgia in the 1870s. So you can get so what some of his views perhaps might be. <laughs> yeah, A to C that, folks. You can yeah. do that. It's not, it's not hard. <laughs> the math is there for you. Yeah. Oh, God. It, that is just like, oh, man. It is just like. It's like, oh, boy. So I was boy. like, I, like I hate to tell you this, but I think you need to know. Just yeah, this. I'm glad because like I was pretty close to just going around and being like, look at this actor, Charles Colbert. He's great as Benjamin <laughs> Dingle. 
Yeah. Dingle, I love Dingle. Let's make Dingle a part of the podcast. Let's I like ruined, integrate I, that character. <laughs> no, I ruined Dingle, but I probably had to. So no, it was it was good. Horacio is as hot as ever before, but apparently, mm-hmm. meanwhile, he's like going on AOL forums, just like chatting up ideas. Yeah, this is fun. I like I like this part. And one of the people he meets on an AOL screenwriting forum is this guy named Bill Marsili. Right, mm. Bill. Yeah, yes. Bill Marsili, who is a like stockbroker in New York, basically. Mm. Yeah, I think he's working for like Goldman Sachs or something like that. Yeah, Merrill Lynch. Merrill Lynch. Yeah, and so he um, they start chatting and they come up with this like time travel idea, basically. Mm. This like sci-fi idea. Bill is working on it, like because Terry Rossi has like got a million projects going on, so he's all over the place. But Bill is like, I get off work and I'm working on this project, which they're calling Deja Vu. Mm. Um, and they are just about ready to go on it. And the essential storyline is that um, there is a terrorist attack. Mm-hmm. The ATF investigator goes in to look at what happened. A domestic terror. They don't know it's a domestic terrorist, but it's there's an attack. They and he is drawn into a government operation that essentially they have discovered time travel and perhaps this ATF agent can prevent this attack from happening. Oh my goodness. That was one sentence plot. Not bad, guys. And not bad for me for being no, able you, to do that. You, uh, this <laughs> is it. like, you were threading the needle immaculately because I, it would take me like five minutes to I not do as well, everything. I did, did not do as well in Matchstick Men, but did pretty well in Day Drive. Yeah, 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 you, you, you did it. You, I, I think I, yeah, because like this is, it's a movie where, uh, it takes you a second to be like, huh, this is happening? What? Yeah. So they, um, they are just about finished with the script when, unfortunately, the September 11th attacks occur. Obviously, Bill Marsili is a finance guy in New York, so he's like yeah. there. He's like in. He's there. He's he in the survives. He he doesn't you know isn't killed or anything like that or injured, but he was there. I'm sure he knew people in the vicinity who were even closer and just clearly had an effect on him. So they put the script aside. Yeah. They're like, sure. this is not appropriate. All these, you know, probably, probably the right call for that moment. Just not, not really into it, but it's still on their minds. And, you know, about, you know, six or seven months later, they do end up picking it up again. They finish writing the script. And then due to his connections with Bruckheimer through the pirates, movies rossi was able to get it in front of jerry bruckheimer who's looking for new hot original ideas they sold the script for three million against five million setting a record at the time for highest price ever paid for a screenplay wow wild they sell it to bruck and bruck immediately is like i i know the guy to direct this movie yeah and it ain't gar verbinski that's Tony Scott's music. Tony Scott is brought in and in a classic director fashion. I love the script. I love it so much. We need to change pretty much all of it. 
<laughs> he so I guess the original script took place in Long Island. Mm -hmm. He transplants it smartly mm -hmm. to New Orleans. Uh, yes. He thinks New Orleans has a good vibe for it, like different look, different like, and you know Tony's such a great proponent of location shooting. So like, we're gonna feel it. We're gonna be there in New Orleans. It's gonna be great. For the lead role of ATF agent Doug Carlene, there's only one option in Tony's mind, and a relationship that that began in Crimson Tide and built itself up to a special place in Man on Fire. Who's the first phone call? Yeah, that's right, Denzel Washington. And Maybe. Denzel and Tony have become buds. More than just collaborators, they're buds. So yeah, Denzel is willing to listen to it. He knows that Tony is not going to screw him up. It's going to mm -hmm. put him in a good light. It's going to be a fun time. You know, Tony is not... Um, they have a really good back and forth with each other, a respectful collaboration. Yeah, they're like talented professionals. Yep, yeah. So Denzel's on board. He loves moving it to New Orleans. He thinks that's a terrific idea. But then as they're about to go into production... Sadly, another massive American tragedy right. occurs, and then as Hurricane Katrina hits New Orleans, wow, and decimates so much New Orleans, obviously, then terribly poorly planned rescue and yeah you know, safety. <laughs> I don't know if you read too. Apparently, um, because they were so they were so close to shooting, everyone else had been cast. And Jim Caviezel was in New Orleans, and he jumped in to, like, choppers to help rescue people and stuff like that. Yeah, I did read that. Wait, so wait, um, he was cast before, though, right? Like, they... I believe everybody was pretty much cast before, okay, they, gotcha, before gotcha. Katrina, but they had to push it. But Tony was adamant, we're still, go we're still doing New Orleans, we're still doing New Orleans, no matter That's what. That's very cool. And this movie what ended up being the first film shot in New Orleans post Katrina and a lot of people said it was a little ghoulish but I did read that it brought like something like 30 million dollars worth of jobs and like infrastructure yeah. to New Orleans when the money was needed mm -hmm. so doesn't seem that bad I don't know yeah I mean I think like uh, I, I guess like I'm trying to think of like I guess it's ghoulish in the sense that maybe like there's resources that could get but then I think it's also good just to you want your city going, coming back to like life, right? You want yeah, things and, to kind of, yeah. I don't know. And movies, like movies, are an exciting shot in the arm. Like Denzel Washington being in town is a cool thing, and that makes yeah. people happy. Like everyone likes him. Oh, he's coming here, and he's like helping out, and they're bringing jobs and stuff. Like that's neat. Yeah, maybe he can go eat at a Kim Dickens's restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a trick. That's yeah, a Tremaine reference. I got oh, it. Yeah. Oh, I got yeah. it. Thank you. I, got, I, know, I know another Tremaine. There's another Tremaine head in this podcast. Yeah, uh, there's two Tremaine heads here. <laughs> <laughs> the only two Tremaine heads on Earth, probably. Yo, we loved it. My roommate and I it was on the air. We were like way into it. <laughs> ah, it's Tremaine Sunday. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sitting down. I can't go out tonight, guys. Tremaine's on. <laughs> yeah, guys, I got to see what Steve Zahn is up to. His antics are so wacky. Steve Zahn, yeah, I like Steve Zahn. <laughs> oh, he's one of the one of the greats. He'll get his. He'll have a. He'll have a Zahnasan soon. I, yeah. I sense it. So, um, getting to that cast. So, Denzel Washington's clearly 
the lead is an ATF special agent Douglas Carline. Uh, <laughs> also, also in the cast is Paula Patton as um, Claire um, Kuchiver. Kuchiver? I forget. They say it a lot. Kuvache. I don't know. Kuvache. Yeah. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. You know, and uh, she was a relative newcomer on the scene mm-hmm. when this guy, she when she was cast in the part. Um, definitely like beautiful presence in the film. Mm-hmm. I was doing the math though, and she's about the same age difference as Angelina Jolie was to Denzel and the Bone Collector. <laughs> and yet oh, I bought yeah. it here. I bought the romance here. Yeah, a little somehow a little more believable. A right, quick digression. Patrick and I did go to Denzelathon at yes. the New Beverly. It was a fantastic, thrilling, electrifying night. Uh, so good. Uh, the crowd was hot. Everybody had predictions on what Denzel mm-hmm. movies they're going to play. And, oh, the fo- like everyone knows that when they show a trailer, that generally means they're not going to show that movie. The the sad letdown in the audience when the Virtuosity trailer played. <laughs> the audible sigh. The audible sigh of, <laughs> oh, no, we're not going to get Virtuosity. No, I want to see. <laughs> uh, but like... they blew our minds, Ricochet, right off the bat. Folks, if you haven't seen this one in a while, check it out. It's a crazed banger. Ricochet rolls. That's a good. That's a good time at the movies. That's that's a good time with some popcorn and a soda, folks. Yeah, popcorn classic. Um, next movie was to taking a Pelham one two three remake from our friend Tony Scott. Ooh. We'll be covering it in the next few months as well on a very very special episode. We won't tell you why. We got a big plan for that episode. Yeah, uh, but it was great wonderful time and then they showed the bone collector the aforementioned boat collector which is a seven ripoff <laughs> to a t oh yeah 100 percent. and it doesn't have any uh, well and it even has like an actor from seven yeah mm-hmm. um crazy stupid plot twist at the end of the movie yeah uh, it was kind of sleepy but the one thing we noticed is that like 1998 22 year old angelina jolie was almost too beautiful to be believable in any movie, I think. <laughs> yeah, she's like too ethereal of a presence yeah. at this point. Every time she walks like... in, she's like, I'm just a New York cop. It's like, no, you're not. You're not. Yeah. Like... No, you, you you, have walked uh, catwalks in Milan, yeah. madam. They had to we do can... this part where they literally said, oh, you used to model some. Just to explain it to us. <laughs> it was like... Like every time she like showed up at a close up, you're just like, I don't know what's happening in this movie anymore. I'm just like, who are you? <laughs> yeah, what is yeah? How are you what doing like, a work? What? We're collecting bones. Is that that's what, is that what's going on? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. How are you doing? How are you a hard scrabble? But she ah. ends up she ends up in this like romantic relationship with Denzel Washington, and it is like wild. It's kind of, <laughs> kind of bonkers. It is ludicrous. Yeah, like when they held hands at the end, you could feel the audience just kind of like again groan, be like, "Oh, I don't, I don't know about that." Queen Latifah was right there. Queen Latifah was right there. Queen Latifah was right there. Come on, movie. I didn't have the same like. There are comparable moments in Deja Vu, with the age difference between Paula Patton and Denzel Washington, but Deja Vu is so much more exciting. You can't really like. Yeah, get get lost in those thoughts because you're lost to you're trying to figure out time travel. Yeah, you're uh, trying to figure out what's up. Yeah, well, and also I feel like the the romance is not really like 
played up as I don't know. It doesn't feel like that's as important as like the insane plot that's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And um anyway, the fourth film was out of time, but be- it was one AM when the Bone Collector ended. Bone Collector was a bit sleepy. <laughs> Patrick and I did not see out of time. We no, everybody, we, we went our separate ways and headed home for nighty night. Yeah, we had to get into our uh, uh you know, matching pajamas with nightcaps and mm-hmm. You know, get haunted by ghosts of Christmas, future, past, and present. Yep. Anyway. Yep. <laughs> it was a wonderful night. Uh, hopefully, hopefully they do another one. They yeah. they alluded to it might be a possibility. He's got so many good movies. He wrote him. He's the best. So many other great actors he could do that with too. Like I'd yeah. love to see like a, a Tommy Lee Jones night. So, but yeah, uh, yeah, it was a wonderful night. Wonderful night. Yeah. Uh, speaking of great actors, mm. Al Kilmer. Ooh. <laughs> The wonderfully named FBI Special Agent Paul Prizwara, he's a Polish guy. <laughs> Just a totally, uh, <laughs> is, yeah, you know, just your typical uh, Polish, uh, I guess there's some Polish folk in New Orleans. New Orleans, yeah. Uh, and he just kind of, I like the way Val Kilmer plays this as a guy. He's like, I'm going to do my job, but I kind of want to go home, mostly, and just kind of like, you wait, you don't have a family? <laughs> but yeah. Val's great. I was, you know, it was interesting because it's like th- at this point in Val's career, it was like post superstardom, but pre when he got ill. Mm. So he's kind of like in the book, they say he feels humbled in this performance, and he it is kind of like a humble, non showy something we're not as used to from Val. It is. It's very. It's a workman like yeah. performance, and it's kind of like um. It's so funny because he doesn't get to have any of the flash. Like he's not even. It's not even like he's in the movie like the way Bruce McGill was in uh, Matchstick or Man even as or even Shad. Adam Goldberg. Adam Goldberg yeah. gets more like cool moments than Val does. Even yeah, it is. He is truly uh, a bit player in this ensemble, but like yeah. it's it's he's doing the work. He's got great presence. He plays off Denzel really really well. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the Adam Goldberg, who we both like. A lot. Oh yeah. Uh, he plays Doctor Alexander Denny, who is the head, like IT guy, basically of time travel. <laughs> yeah. And he gets uh, to do fun Adam Goldberg stuff. He gets to be snarky. He gets to be like, you know, like he has to explain wormholes and time travel to Tenzo Washington, who's just having it, not having it. He's like, just tell. Come on, I don't care about your. Yeah, nerd. we don't. We don't need this exposition. I just want to go into that time machine and cause mischief. Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. And then um, actors like Eldon Henson, who plays Gunners, Ooh. and Erica Alexander, who plays Shanti, members of the team. Uh, Bruce Greenwood is FBI special agent in charge, Jack McCready. He's, you know, the suit of the yeah. group. A classic then, Bruce Greenwood performance. Class, like, you know, yeah. You, you know, you know what you're getting. He's good. Yep. It's um, going to be a suit. Matt Craven, back from Crimson Tide, is ATF uh, Special Agent Larry Minuti. Minuti, poor Minuti. Rather. That, that, that is the tug moment of this film. Poor Minuti. Rather, rather, unfortunately, picks up a note that he shouldn't have. Yeah. And then um, <laughs> playing the role of domestic terrorist Carol Orst- Orstad. Some fun names. Fun names is Jim Caviezel. He's believable. Yeah, he's a lunatic. You feel yeah. it. 
you feel like, yeah. he, he gives you this like he gives you this uh, million mile stare, and you feel it in your little heart, and you're like, hmm, well, this guy's scary. I can't believe he was ever cast as a good guy. Yeah, like he has the his eyes just scream dead eyed lunatic. Yeah, he's what? you look at him and it's like, oh, yeah, this is a guy who thinks the devil is real. And if he thought you were the devil, he would kill you. Yeah, he's <laughs> like, and I mean, we know we've we've talked a bit about his uh, when we talked to the G.I. Jane episode. I think we discussed a little mm. bit of it. He's in G.I. Jane. And he's in The Rock as well. So he is a mm. Bruckheimer was for at least a bit a Bruckheimer regular. Mm. But like, I mean, like, you know, you can go listen to other shows that have covered it better i mean this guy is a full q and on yeah like, looney tunes yeah we we had a lot of looney tunes in this episode we have a murderous row of weirdos <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> some we're discovering in the moment <laughs> yeah yeah I, yeah definitely yeah definitely not as tummy ache inducing as terry osseo that that one truly is like <laughs> they just threw, that through us yeah uh, that is yeah that's just a us. swerve a swerve but it's a really, I mean, it's a classic Tony Scott cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and classic Tony Scott stuff, like, the second they walk into the computer room, the computer war room, I was like, yeah, Tony's right at home here with people looking at monitors, freaking oh, out man. about discovering stuff and freaking out about stuff that's going on. Nobody does it better than Tony oh, yeah. Scott. And monitor, monitor porn. <laughs> he's so good at making boring stuff frenetic and fun yeah. like like all the insane camera angles and weird like 3d visualizations the room and stuff like that and i think like comparably like with that i think um enemy of the state is kind of the leaping off point for this movie because he did enemy and then you know man of fire and domino mm-hmm. kind of um went took it even further but i think he's heading back into you know Coincidentally, Enemy of the State was his last Bruckheimer. Oh, Spy Game, too. Enemy of the State and Spy Game. It's almost like yeah. his interest in surveillance, his interest in this modern tech yeah, is clearer and clearer with each each of these movies, kind of. Mm-hmm. And each of these movies have, like, FBI or CIA guys looking at monitors. Oh, for sure. Stop. And I feel... Yeah, and you definitely, I feel like the current, like, political climate at the time, too, only ramped up that, like... Absolutely. That yeah, like I've said, yeah, it's you it's very out. this is like as a time capsule of being both post Katrina and post nine eleven. Yeah, this is checking a lot of those boxes about what was kind of interesting and what caused fear in people. Yeah, this is a good like yeah, good uh, thermometer to, to gauge the te- like the temperature of the room and like the mood, just the the mood like the mood and opinions on this uh, on mm-hmm. this technology. Oh, also, I gotta say. Uh, this was a quick, like, a uh, miss it or in uh, blink and you miss it uh, cameo. Uh, in the beginning, there's this crying old couple, mm-hmm. and the man, the old man, he plays Chip in Ricky Bobby. That's that is that is Ricky Bobby's <laughs> father-in-law, Chip, the one that gets harassed by the kids. <laughs> I saw him and I was like, "Where do I know this kid?" It's like, "Oh, it's the grandpa of Ricky Bobby. He's in this movie. This rules." Watch it. It's so funny. Those kids yelling. It is. Uh, it is oh, one of the greatest performances. Yeah, call. That's so funny. very good. Like you're a loser, Chip. <laughs> you're a loser. <laughs> 
threw your teeth out the window. Oh, God, all those little one-liners. So good. <laughs> they, like, McKay and Farrell, they had those one, they were maybe the best ever. Uh, just those throwaway one-liners. Yeah, that trilogy is probably the, like, that. those first three, McKay and Farrell, like, yeah. your uh, Ricky Bobby, Anchorman. Anchorman and uh, Step Brothers. Step Brothers? Yeah. yeah. Classics. So, um, the uh, the choice of Tony Scott to direct was contentious among the screenwriters, as oh, we brought up. On. And Rossio later wrote Scott was completely the wrong choice, and that Tony had stated he had no interest in making a science fiction film, and he even suggested the time travel aspect to be dumped. Hell yeah! I hell say yeah, hell dude. yeah to that. Hell dude. yeah, dude! Fuck <laughs> yeah! Just just. Just hang out in Norwich with our good boy Carleen. Yeah, and that's all Terry you need. Rossio said, "My hope was that we had a screenplay that could be the next six cents." Tony wanted to make just another also ran surveillance film. Look, no offense, but like six cents, this is maybe like the original script. Uh, yeah, made a little more sense or something, but I don't know. I don't think there's just so much. Uh, like there's so much Armageddon goop, like that level of like tech that doesn't make sense, which I and I'm fine with that if you have a Tony Scott directing it or a Michael Bay, where like mm. they they recognize they're not here for the sci-fi goop, they're there for like the oh, explosions. This, this the could have been this could have been that time frame movie. Remember that one? Ooh, like based or, on a uh Michael Crichton novel, Michael Crichton timeline. Time, yeah, with timeline. Yeah, with Paul Walker, man, yeah. Yeah, this that could have been this. With ease. Completely mm-hmm. we didn't even remember what the fuck it was called. Yeah. It's such a it's such a forgettable and it's like I like that book as a kid. Like I I was a big Michael Crichton boy as a child. Yeah. Uh, but uh like yeah, but like yeah, a movie is so Yeah, like if you don't like Tony Scott brings spice. You need like Texture that was directed and spice. by Richard Donner, which I did not even know. But oh, really? But yeah, but it's like you need the panache. You need Denzel yeah. Washington. Like I'm yeah, sorry, you, I'm sorry, guys. In, you need, like, yeah, you, you need a scene where someone is driving around <laughs> New Orleans with a VR helmet into the wrong side of yeah, and throwing just throwing cars. You know all this, so, all the stuff we come to love. So many people in that. <laughs> In that uh, in that chase, it's so good. But I guess what they did is that basically they were butting heads with Tony all through pre-production to the point where Tony quit the movie. Oh no! And then they re- had to rework the script in order to convince Denzel not to quit along with Tony. Mm-hmm. And the revision was deemed so good that not only did Denzel recommit, Denzel called Tony and talked him into coming back on board. And they apparently made some sort of pinky promise that they wouldn't quit the movie again. But Tony said on one condition he wouldn't quit again. He wanted to bring on his own writers. Hell yeah. So clearly he he and those guys and like I in a sense like get it because those guys like worked on this for like six years on line together and like mm-hmm. thought and clearly, like, Tony's not fucking interested in making The Sixth Sense. He's yeah. not, like, he's not that kind of filmmaker. He's, he's, he's not, so a, he's he, may not have, a... he, he may have been wrong for their screenplay, mm-hmm. but I'm sorry. 
there's a power structure <laughs> and Tony's more powerful, man. Like, yeah. Tony, gets, Tony what, executes and gets stuff done. Well, and like as uh, annoying as I would imagine it is to have your, your baby get kind of like yeah. ripped apart by like, welcome to the history of screenwriting in Hollywood. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. And, and also Terry Rossio, you're going to be fine. <laughs> He wrote yeah, Shrek. Yeah. I have, you'll have some Shrek, movies down Pirates, the line. I'm fine. Yeah, you're fine. Yeah, you'll have some movie. You have some movies that uh, I assume you have full control over. Although, you know what? You're also powerful enough. You could probably get a director deal. Mm. If you want, if you really want control over your shit, as you want to see it through, you should probably direct. Try and direct your scripts too. Anyway, oh, it's a, that uh, isn't for everybody. It isn't mm-hmm. for everybody. But I, I know that's one of the big reasons I try to direct as well it's like yeah oh, i'm a control freak <laughs> I you want control it's your baby yeah it's your baby so um they head into production though tony is clearly looking for a way and i think rightfully so to make this movie feel real and not ludicrous mm-hmm. which you could fall into things that help in that regard the new orleans environment and denzel washington Mm-hmm. And frankly, downplaying that it is a time like you watch the trailer to it, that doesn't say shit about time travel. Mm. And I think that you know it's more about like, is it like does Denzel have a head injury so he has deja vu or something like that? <laughs> like that's what it feels like. And I like yeah, that's intriguing. And I mean, I remember when I started watching this movie when it came out, I did think like, oh, this is about time travel. Like, I'm not a sci-fi boy. We've made that. Mm-hmm abundantly clear watching this show doing this show and i even i was like oh, it's my time. i don't care <laughs> well i think i just remember this movie being like just like profoundly s- stupid like i just remember watching that's like my big memory of this movie being like oh this doesn't make a lot of sense like none of this mm-hmm. so yeah. the movie opens with this uh fairy uh going across the mississippi river with a mardi gras uh, for a mardi gras explosion or uh mm-hmm. celebration <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> I'm jumping the gun on my words here. Um, yeah. it, the ferry spectacularly and horrifically gets blown up <laughs> on the river. 543 people die. An mm-hmm. ATF special agent, Jug Carlene, is brought in. He's immediately, because he's Denzel Washington, and we've seen him better than everyone else at investigating things. And yeah, he's, he's picking up on clues just right and left. These yeah, losers around him cannot even begin to. Oh, keep they're it. all just burger boys. They're all just burger like bo- sloppy burger sloppy. boys. And this yeah. is this is a flame mignon of a man. Like, yeah, gonna... or this like or like it's like the the mortician that's like smoking a cigarette over yeah. the and just letting Denzel manhandle the body. Crazy, yep. because Denzel does not care. He's gonna get his man. Yeah, he's the and perfect he's guy. Discovered things. One of the things he discovers is that down the river there's mm. a dead body of a young woman. Mm. Named Claire Cuchavere, played by Paula Patton. But because Paula Patton is second listed in the credits, what's mm. the, what's what's the deal with that? What's that? Yeah, mm. this is an awfully uh, quiet role, seemingly quiet for role. second billing. Yeah. yeah, like a Laura Palmer from Twin Peaks or something like that. <laughs> oh, let's go. So, <laughs> she could be a ghost in the help. But he, but <laughs> Denzel is very convinced that she has something to do, something mm. bigger to do with all of this. Meanwhile, he finds out that she called his office. And he's like, what? Oh, yeah, she came by. What? How does he know this? 
Oh, and I'm confused. I'm barely. <laughs> I yeah. was able to describe this plot in one sentence, but man, now that we're getting into it, it's a little harder. Um, Denzel though is met with. He just he's then introduced to Val Kilmer, mm-hmm. who Val's like, let me show you something. Hmm. They go in the secret lair. It's like it's very like they have a stargate. It's so great. This is like it is like I feel it's so funny because I feel like um this is like where the movie like lost me last like just like the whole this stuff. But like this time around, I was way more like, you know what? I'm having yeah, fun. It. Yeah, let's just go. Let's, let's just roll with the baby. Yeah, this it's is a dumb. goofy. Yeah, it's dumb, but it's a, it's pleasurable. <laughs> yeah, it's silly. It's it's like look in the movie. I think the movie does a good job too of not like overly bogging us. Like it never claims to be like, you know, it's not like that one episode of Lost where they try to as scientifically as possible like yeah make time travel work or whatever. It's like more it's just, just like, silly. Yeah, we we stumbled on it. It's here now. Yeah. We got it. The U.S. Yep. government's in control of it. Uh, but they yeah. try and convince Denzel it's just some like advanced surveillance system that can see like four and a half days. In the past, it's it's a, a very specific odd number. Of yeah, it's very silly. It's, yeah, in the past they can go, and then so they start tracking her, and he's like, "She's like, she's a secret. We got to figure it out." Guess what he does while he's watching her? He watches her shower. It's a little little voyery. Yeah, I uh, do. I do like. Uh, there is like a moment in this where it's like uh, it is like that mid two thousands era. Like uh, these guys are horny and a little pervy. Yeah, it's like yeah. I shouldn't be watching this, but I like it. Yeah, uh, like, but he likes even more. Down, like, Eldon Henson. Like, yeah, he but he falls in love with her. Like, yeah, almost immediately. He's smitten. So, he's smitten with this guy. You know, she seems like a nice lady. She cares for children and her family, and she's hella hot. So, um, all good things <laughs> for for yeah. Doug Carlene. <laughs> also, got a cat. Oh, Doug is a classic Bruckheimer man. Um. His personal life, he has none. Why? Mm-hmm. Cares too much about his damn job. He's just but too confident. He's too confident. He's too good at his job, which makes him like unable to like date and have a family like he should have. <laughs> mm, tragic, really. Tragic, really. But is that something that Doug can work on with the help of time travel? Perhaps. Crazy <laughs> <laughs> that they have this. Do you think? Like, how many? Like insane things do you think the u.s government has used that that like time machine i i, I yeah they oh, i was thinking imagine that. like if they had if it was real if they told trump it existed what he would have done with it <laughs> i'd go back in time to get like crystal pepsi or some bullshit <sighs> like that how the human giants catch like i went back to studio 54 and made sure liza minnelli had a piece of my mind <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> she was not great in Evita. She was not great, and I told her so. <laughs> what about Trump? Trump? Trump just going back in time to see old Broadway performances. <laughs> <laughs> I missed Saigon, and it was good. <laughs> and I. Yeah. Very good performance. <laughs> he goes back in time. He's like, I found Rosie O'Donnell, and I stopped the future. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's so stupid. (laughs) That's better than you texting me about which member of this team got Havana Syndrome later on. Yes. 
<laughs> answer all of them. All of them. They all have a van. Adam Goldberg has a terrible case of Havana syndrome. Oh, for sure. He feels like, yeah, the microwaves are definitely uh, sc- yeah. scratching his brain or whatever. Russia, they heard that we had time travel. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm going to fix this. But uh, before uh, that, I want to uh, see uh, a performance Midler of the a House of, of Borg. The- I'm going to give Ben Midler a real piece of my mind. <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna go back in time and watch the Josh Gad in the Book of Mormon. Yeah, he's funny. He's a funny guy. Big funny boy. guy. Funny I wish he was. Boy. I wish he was my vice president. He'd be better than Pence. <laughs> Trump Gad, 2024. Trump Gad. Trump. Uh, Josh Gad, have you met my daughter? Loved you in pixels. Fucked by Hubert. <laughs> I wanted to meet this Cubert you fuck. <laughs> You're very shapely. It's a stupid, stupidest movie. Stupid. Where's <laughs> my brain? My oh, brain. <laughs> what happened? This is that Terry, that Terry Rossio thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we're anni- annihilated us. I am. Yeah, that I am a shell of a man. Yeah. <laughs> like, we're reading about him. Like, Oh my god. It is, us completely. it is just crazy. I am still dealing with that. It's just like, come on, Terry. Terry. We were, co- we were coherent and timely for Matchstick Men. Deja Vu has destroyed us. Yeah, we're. Yeah, Deja Vu is. Our brains are puddles. <laughs> All right, so. Um, okay, let's do it. We're, we're regrouping. Doug, quickly, Doug is quick to figure out with his red laser pointer that uh, mm. this is not surveillance. We're watching something completely different here. Why are we able to see all of this stuff? Well, it turns out uh, yep, it's time travel. We've got mm. access to we got we got time travel. <laughs> and Doug is like, wow, that's crazy. Maybe we can do something about this. I'm going to send a note through time. Ooh. Well, Matt Craven, his partner, who at the beginning of the movie is like, where is he? I don't know. Well, it turns out he got that note four days ago and tracked down Domestic terrorist Jim Caviezel. Jim, Jim Caviezel brained him. Yeah, that was like such a that was such a funny moment where it's like, yeah, he sends they send that note back in time and immediately because like in the movie beginning of the movie too they allude to like Minuti yeah. being gone and then once Minuti gets that note you're like okay oh that's poor what Minuti. happened that's what happened to Minuti so Matt Craven dies yeah and so if you thought that they underplay seeing naked Paula Patton in the shower and are pervy about it. They completely overplay and they're in tears, like bawling tears when Matt Craven gets shot in the head. Yeah. It's great. This... I was like, this is a very emotionally unstable and weird <laughs> collection. You guys got to go outside. You're in New Orleans. Go have some fun. Like, yeah, I don't know if I can trust these people with the time machine that yeah, changes history. Outside, outside of like totally detached Val Kilmer, these are like, you know, yeah. Goofy people. And also, I guess why yeah. is time travel technology in New Orleans? Like, why did well, they decide that that was the place to house the government time travel house? And why are they using it to solve like like CSI crime? I guess it's like a big crime. It's a it's big. A big this is attack. a big terrorist. This is it's a big a, terrorist attack. Yeah, so that's fair. I'll give them that. But it's crazy that it's based in. It seems like not a good place to put a. Like maybe put that in DC. I don't know. Somewhere else. I was reading about. um, I'm reading this book about Robert Oppenheimer right now, Mm. and there was like, like when they decided on where to put the lab for the 
to develop the atomic bomb. There was mm -hmm. like weeks of like discussion on where like the safest place and like the most secure like location would be to work on this like massive shift and dangerous shift in technology. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> Clinton government or Bush Jr. government be like, I don't know, New Orleans. Like, didn't think about it at all. Yeah, <laughs> like, just good, fun place. I love Shrimpy Touffet. Let's do it. Like, it is very, like, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's like, like, Adam Goldberg ties one off one night and, like, time travel, like, like his known quantity. <laughs> like, because he's, yeah. out par he's out partying in the French Quarter or something like that. Oh, my God. Yeah, it is, like, the most, it feels weird that they're trusting this technology in this, like, random place with, like, three people that can, like, barely ha ha handle, like, quips. <laughs> and, and, like, like Adam Goldberg can just, like, come in the middle of the night, disobey the rules, because nobody's there, and send Denzel Washington through time. Where are the guards? There should be guards. There, there, there should, should be guards. Be... <laughs> there should be guards. Guard the time travel machine, I please. Mean, if you had to, like, say the top five pieces of dream technology that the entire world historically would want to know about and have. Yeah. Time travel has got to be a top two. Yeah. Maybe one maybe, even. Maybe, maybe number one, like outside of like maybe not dying. Like, yeah. Immortality is probably one, but time travel is got to be one A to two. Yeah. No, nah, that's... Yeah, that's crazy. It's crazy. There's a lot of no, lapses in... Doug seems like a cool guy. Let's tell him about it. Yeah, let's just throw. Let's just put him back in time. Maybe this will ruin like the. It is crazy that they're just like, because like they talk about how like you know, they're not quite sure what will happen when you go back in time. They don't like you know. There's a lot of things that can occur, and this they're just a, like, this is this is up there with sending the drillers into space with two weeks of astronaut training. Yes, that is yeah. Except like. That like another conversation least... we had at movie night last night about Armageddon was the so do you think they should have trained the astronauts to drill or did the drillers to be astronauts? What actually is the correct choice there? Yeah, I don't know. I think like I guess like you gotta just bring think, both think, and hope yeah, for the best. Bruce, Bruce Willis is like these are good astronauts. Bruce Willis is the best driller. That's true. And hey, look, if you're a great driller, those you're, it's basically one to one. Like those skills, they they, just, they move. Yeah. And if you're the best ATF agent in the world, probably probably pretty good at time travel. Yeah, you're probably I'm a super say. genius. Yeah, you're able to use a, a light a lightning pen a light pen to deduce like, that. Debunk all their bullshit. <laughs> Such a funny moment in that movie. It's so insane where he where he's like, mm, checkmate, this light pen proves that time travel exists. But there's like there's amazing stuff. This so there's this one part where he's wearing these like time travel goggles while oh my driving God, a Humvee through driving a Humvee through New Orleans and he's seeing the past but has to like dodge traffic in the it's, moment. It's terrific. It's like it's one of those things that is just profoundly stupid. It's incredibly like, and doing this in real life is like, just like negligent. <laughs> like, it's just not a good like. And they show it in the movie. He like kills people driving. Like definitely cars like flip over and people die. Yeah, he, <laughs> can... what he does say is like, yeah, you're gonna want to call the paramedics to this location. <laughs> like, like, yeah, he's probably. Like, he's just like, oh yeah. By the way, I made a to Toyota Corolla. There's a the lot air. of collateral damage because like when they get to the boat again. 
at the end of the movie when Caviezel's just like blasting guys. Yeah. He like kills that police officer. There's like other people he shoots. Like there's a lot or guard, I mean. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of like carnage. But I guess like in the end of the day, the the head the body count is less than the the terrorist no, attack. No, so it's all no cute white blonde eight year old girls die. So That's true. No uh, that yeah. was Elle Fanning. I don't know if you caught that. Oh, I did not. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Early oh, did, did she get her uh, doll back in the end? I can't. Uh, that's a real question. Mm. I mean, it's her fault. She dropped it over. Can't hey, can't pin that one. <laughs> Idiot of the week, my in my opinion. Isn't that uh, <laughs> that line when they see the dead dog in seven and Kevin Spacey's like, I didn't do that. Jim Caviezel probably could have said the same thing about the doll going overboard. In, yeah. Uh, this movie. I that wasn't me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jim Caviezel's really good in this movie, and I know he's a. We've mentioned that before, but he really hits it out of the park. Yeah, like he's correctly cast, and he does a great job. Like he's a genuinely scary and good foe for Denzel Washington. He has lunatic eyes. Yeah, yeah, he has like he he has these big eyes, and they stare at you, and it's scary. He has a he he's a man with the crazy convictions. It feels like he's yeah yeah, and he was too crazy like for the army. And the Navy, they wouldn't have him because they're like, yeah. "Yeah, you'd be a good soldier, but you're crazy. You're yeah, you're a lunatic," which is not not a good sign. Yeah, we yeah we won't let you hang out with the Black Hawk Down people. You're too- yeah, yeah yeah like you're not you like you're you're a bad hang man for the yeah rest you're of those not guys. fun. No point. Eric Van is like, I don't know about this guy. All right, yeah. so basically, how this goes though is that they have this window of time where they can like get back to the past, which is like four days or something like that, and they're coming up on four days since the um. Mm-hmm. the boat bomb and Denzel Washington this is now personal because through the magic of time travel video he is utterly in love with Paula Patton and really yeah. like he wants to solve this crime and stop Jim Caviezel but he also like wants to go on a date yeah it is crazy because I felt like I thought I thought initially it was going to be like oh she kind of sees her her as like a daughter type figure or something but it's like no 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 oh, he's, he's deeply attracted to her he's smitten yeah, he wants, yeah he's like in love so they finally like he like Val Kilmer's like man nobody's going back we don't know what's gonna happen you're gonna die if you time mm-hmm. travel we're not sending you back we sent this note and that didn't really work so I'm sorry like we know who did it so because they figure out it was Jim Caviezel they arrest Jim Caviezel yeah. I get like, the I mean and he's probably gonna get off on insanity he's right mm-hmm. about that you know but also though I mean basically he is a simile for Timothy McVeigh did die with the death penalty so you know, yeah who knows who knows yeah um but he um also kind of cool like groovy of them to go with the domestic terrorist route which is a much scarier route in 2006 and not have it be like a isis or al-qaeda type thing. yeah that could have gotten very uncomfortable very and they, quickly and easy choice there are other movies that did that yeah oh 110 percent. yeah like uh that one movie with like forrest whitaker i feel like did something like that right um what was that movie? It's like there's like multiple perspectives. It's oh, Vantage like Point. Vantage yeah. Point. Yes. Could have yeah. been a bit. This movie shares a lot of DNA with Vantage Point. <laughs> with a lot of those movies, though, just of that mm-hmm. era, like the post nine yeah. eleven, like the, boy, they made a lot of them, and like none of them were, were big hits. Nobody really wanted to deal with it either. Yeah. Well, they were all like so like they lacked. I think like one thing that um like they all lack levity. There's like no like I feel like that's like a human element that sometimes people forget because they want to be 
serious and they're dealing with serious stuff, but like I don't know, you need like and a I little think, like, bit. Well, yeah. this one does by having like the time travel. Yeah. Element. And just it like makes yeah. it like it takes it away a little bit, just enough that you can cover these these actual current event issues, but do it in a kind of a more arm's length kind of way, so you don't feel as like I don't I don't want to watch a documentary. I want to watch a fun movie. Yeah, I want to watch a goofy movie where a man drives a Hummer directly in the wrong side of traffic. <laughs> oh, all the action's great in this movie. Just yeah, top it's to really, bottom, all the action. And the explosions great. are great too. Yeah. I love the the first like when like the barge explodes and like dudes are like like sailors are on fire jumping out of the air. Like I really just appreciate uh, yeah. Tony Scott's commitment to just like very chaos solid and action. Yeah, chaos and action, and it feels like and none of it feels CGI or fake. It, it should scary. also be noted, he's doing a lot of his tricks for Man on Fire and Domino in this, but he f- has found a way mm-hmm. to tone it down, too. Like, right. it's all there still, but he's doing it with an... It's, it's not distracting mm-hmm. in this one. Like, there's no words on the screen or anything like that in this one. Like, it's, yeah. it's, it's a much it... more straightforward film, and that's clearly the hand of Jerry Bruckheimer telling him, take your foot off the gas a little bit here. Totally. Yeah, we're, ta- we're taking yeah. you away from Las Vegas. We're, we're sending it. A, we're sending it a knowledge. And he freely admitted. To... He freely admitted the beat the devil domino. He took things over the line. He yeah. He was, he was self-aware enough to say like, okay, we we took that style, that feeling, as far as we could take it. Now maybe like let's modulate it, incorporate what worked. Yeah, and modulate it a bit. Well, and I think what's funny is like the the hectic tone of "Beat the Devil" works for "Beat the Devil" uh, it's because, because it's, it's ten minutes long. Yeah, and that's like that's the perfect amount of time. And then when you take that hectic tone and try to make it last, you know, uh, an hour and a half or two hours or whatnot, that's tough. That's a very hard uh, pace to maintain. And some people can do it. Um, and I've, honestly, Tony Scott has a better chance than like you know. I'm trying to think of like I feel like you know we brought up Neville Dean earlier. Uh, or did we did we bring him up uh, in the pot yeah. or was that yeah, yeah we talked yeah back when we were talking about Alison Loman. Like, oh man, that seems like centuries ago. Centuries ago, before we, like we learned de- before we learned devastating details about one of the writers of Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> oh man, hey, oh god, I just uh, read the new Shrek sequel. Uh, looks like uh, Lord Farquaad's returned, and uh, he's forcing um. There's like some sort of swamp virus uh, in the land, and he's forcing everyone to wear knight's helmets. And Shrek is not a fan of that. And there's He's... also like a moment where like they're like we we would have told but we would have been able to tell this joke in Shrek one, but the woke virus has just taken over everything. <laughs> oh yeah, at, at one point a donkey just goes on a tirade about um the the Will Smith uh, Chris Rock clap a slap yeah. like he just like is like you know this is just a sign of like. Uh, you know, it can't just, be uh, funny anymore. We just can't, can't be, be funny. funny. You anymore. Can't can't yeah. tell a joke anymore. It's yeah, it's. Uh, I, just, I, I feel like you know i was once so fucking funny and people loved me and now i've gotten a little bit older and not as popular i don't yeah. know why <laughs> <laughs> it's a, at a certain point uh, shrek is just a guest on the joe rogan podcast <laughs> it's, just, it's just like yeah two hours of the movie is just shrek sitting yeah, with shrek uh, is selling like some like supplement it makes you greener yeah. trust me <laughs> shrek do you, do you smoke <laughs> who are your guys? Who are your guys? Shrek. You know who my guy is. It's Donkey. <laughs> Shrek does on Marin too. It, it, Shrek it's, on Marin it's, too. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 great. Yeah, Shrek. It, it yeah, was going looks... really. It was going uh, really well until Shrek was like Louis C.K. got really railroaded, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> 
really expected Mark to agree with them. I thought, Mark, really... was, thought Mark would be on board. Mark was not having it, one bit of it. Yeah, he Shrek, Shrek Gallagher, walked out like Gallagher moment. Yeah, Shrek yeah, failed. he walked out like yeah. Gallagher. He's like Shrek, come on, Shrek, Shrek. Yeah, we're having a conversation here. Oh come oh, we on, we are losing Shrek. our minds. We got to get through this. <laughs> yeah, we get. We're almost done. We can. We're almost there. We're bringing so, it back. Um, Denzel does go back in time with the help of Adam Goldberg. He meets Paula Patton. It takes rather quickly. She's treating his wounds, shirtless wounds. They're they're mm-hmm. falling in love, but they gotta stop Jim Caviezel. So they mm-hmm. hit. They get to the ferry. They bo- Denzel boards the ferry. This is great stuff. It's all good, and they go out. You know, they find the Ford Bronco with the mm. bomb. Caviezel's pissed off about it. He captures Paula Patton, ties her to the steering wheel. Mm. of the car everyone's going at it Caviezel pulls out two machine guns he's shooting everybody she hits the gas in the car Jim Caviezel gets blasted between two cars she's upset she's like killed him but then Denzel's like no way because guess what follows Denzel pops him in the head but they <laughs> shoot him right there and no it's, it's very satisfying he's like no I killed him give me the credit for that kill yeah they <laughs> run out on me. run out of time Bombs mm-hmm. on a clock. Denzel's carrying around like a giant clock. <laughs> to know what time it is, it's awesome. It's very Absolutely. silly. It kind of rolls. Flame like, Flames clock. <laughs> it's just truly a great, a great little, uh, a great little set piece. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he doesn't have a watch or anything. But they have to drive. They drive it overboard. Guys are shooting at him. It looks great. Cars are flying off. Goes over the edge of the ferry. Goes under. They're breaking through the windshield. Denzel gets her out. She swims what? out. Unfortunately, Denzel's stuck. Bomb goes off. Explodes. Doug Carlene. Hero. Dead. All but righty. everyone's saved. Mm-hmm. She's like, oh my god, I don't know. She's they're, They've rescued everyone. There's all these old people who are like, my daughter's there. <laughs> you think it's going to yes. be a teenager? <laughs> no, it's another middle-aged woman she's there looking for. Yeah. It's Walker and Texas Ranger. They made it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> get out of here, Grandpa. <laughs> get out of here, Grandpa. So they um they get there and talk about twisted eggs though that actually are deeply satisfying. Paul Patton's like, I don't know, man. That was weird. Like I like Yeah. She turns around, pulling up, jumping out of their car in there, Tommy Bahama <laughs> shirt. It's Doug. Oh, it's he's time. back. He's back. And you're like, hell yeah. And he strolls up to her and she's like, I thought, I did not remember. And I was like, please don't do this. Like, I thought the movie was going to end with her going, you ever have deja vu? Uh, I was, yeah. I thought that the, the possibility was there. Of yeah. It. But no, they have a really meet, they have a wonderful meet, cute. And you, you know, all will be well. And it's an earned all will be well. For Doug and uh, Paula. All's well that ends well. All's well that ends well. Jim Caviezel's dead. They've saved almost everybody else. Everybody, all the goodies made mm-hmm. it. We had a good time. We didn't think about it too much. It was an entertaining two hours. We all go home happy. I think that oh, that yeah. was our reaction there. We should note um, cinematography by Paul Cameron, edited by 
the great Chris Levin ends on who has <laughs> edited almost every movie we've covered in the last six months. Uh, music by Harry Gregson Williams of the Hans Zimmer school. Uh, great, great score. Mm. Action packed score. I liked it. Uh, Paul Cameron. What has, uh... oh, he did uh, man on fire. Did gone in 60 seconds. Did swordfish. Oh, wow. He is, like, uh, he kind of defined this era's aesthetic a little bit. <laughs> did, yeah, he was one of the guys this era. And he also uh, was the shared credit on with Dion Beebe on Collateral. Mm, very which good. It's a absolutely key film in the digital revolution. Mm-hmm. So, all-star group of collaborators. Um, the film was released... As, as I think we mentioned before, on November 22nd, 2006. There were some apprehensions about the 9-11 stuff and the Hurricane Katrina stuff, but they went ahead with it. Mm-hmm. Um, the film made uh, opened in the number three spot with 20.5 million. Um, ran for 14 weeks, stayed in the top 10 for its first three weeks. Ended up with a nice 64 million in the U.S., 116.5 million in other territories for a worldwide total of 180 million dollars against a production budget of 75 million. A nice, let's call it a double. Wow, not a not a not a smash, but not a failure. No, it's, you know what? You get to work another day. That's like, uh, yeah, that's not like putting you in the bad zone. You're, you're having fun with that. The um. The biggest critics of the film mm-hmm. are um, Terry Rossio and Bill Marsilli. Uh, <laughs> they blame Tony completely. He wanted to focus more on the action rather than the meaningful plot the screenplay had called for. Um, Mar- Marsilli was proud of the finished product despite his criticism. Rossio, though, um, has said he was so put off during filming that as of May 2008, he has never seen Deja Vu. Wow. Um, complains Scott ignored the inclusion of important plot details from the screenplay whenever there was something he wanted to do instead. <laughs> um, and Rossio continued to maintain that they say Tony Scott added nothing to Deja Vu and made several hundred small mistakes and about eight or nine deadly mistakes. Um, which made the film seem like it had many unforgivable plot holes, to which they argued there are no plot holes at all. Scrutiny reveals the plot to be airtight, says Razio. We had years to think about this and work it out. And they felt all misunderstandings that it was just Tony's take on the plot. Um, his own self-defense, he said he had 19 weeks to produce the movie. And yeah, it isn't a lot for a film like Deja Vu. Um, yeah, uh, this is a yeah. This is like a yeah. I feel like if you really want to do like an, a, a clear cut version of this film, you, you need a little more time. And I think this movie's too fucking silly to ever it, have been the Sixth Sense. Come on, guys. Like, yeah, it, it, yeah. The expect. I don't know what Terry Rossio was thinking. Like, expecting like a Best Picture nomination. Yeah, this is time. You're doing time cop stuff. Like, relax. Yeah, come, this relax. Is, this they, is like this a B is, movie. A, yeah, it's a programmer, man. Like yeah, uh, it has an approval rating of fifty five percent on Rotten Tomatoes, which that seems tracks. to be Tony's like bread and butter spot. Okay. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, <laughs> critical consensus is Tony Scott tries to combine action, science fiction, 
romance and explosions into one movie, but the time travel conceit might be too preposterous and the action falls apart under scrutiny. Uh, mm. Joel Siegel called the film technically well-made, but criticized his attempt to describe its supposedly scientific basis for time travel as both silly and dull. As did Manola Darhees of the New York Times... Who uh, found? Who also found the descript depiction of the parishes decimated by Hurricane Katrina to be quote vulgar. Um, mm. Kenneth Tran of the Los Angeles Times described the film's exploration of the nature of time and the implications of time travel as having been a sci-fi staple for generations. So way to um, way to bring that prescient point to the table, Kenny. Um, <laughs> I think. Um, Michael Wilmington, though, of the Orlando Sentinel, rated the film three out of four stars, citing good cast, Tony Scott's swift direction, and unyielding professionalism as rational for the rating. Spot on, Michael. Mm -hmm. I agree. It isn't... It's not tar. No. You know, it's not... There will be blood. So, But like we said many, many a times, you need a deja vu every once in a while to mix it up and have a nice time. You get a great star performance. You get great action. You get great supporting players. A um, compelling enough story to take you through all 126 minutes of it. It's a TNT classic. Your dad will like it. Yeah, solid. Just It's a Saturday. You know, you're, you're flipping through channels. Maybe you're on TNT. Maybe you're on FX. Hell, maybe you might even be on TBS. Yeah. But it's there. It's there. It's there to guide you home and take care of a nice time on a yeah. Sunday afternoon. Maybe you're hungover. Maybe you had a good time yeah. last night. Guess yeah, what? Maybe Try and watch Deja Vu and get through it. It's yep. a fun time. Pair, pairs nicely with cold pizza and a, uh, I don't know, like a, a glass of orange juice yeah. for that hangover. But a good enough hit that Tony Scott, like Ridley, went on to see another movie after this. Mm. Tony Moved in a couple years later to the taking of Pelham 123, which, as we mentioned, will be covered in a very explosive, very special episode Ooh. coming up in the future. I'm going to watch it again. Yeah. Even after we thought we saw it at the theater the other night. I, I'm going to watch I it might, again. I might see. Is there, there must be a commentary, right? Oh, yeah, I think so. I Because Tony might... was very generous with that on all of his discs. Yeah. The, um, I, might, I might go we'll, try to find the commentary for that bad boy. But we'll take a look at that. Um Interesting thing, though, is happening here is that this is right around the time because 2006, Deja Vu, 2009, The Taking of Pelham, 1, 2, 3. In the meantime, Iron Man and the Dark Knight arrive in Hollywood, which symbolize the sea change to what we know now, basically, on how movies work and also symbolized... Tony, a filmmaker like Tony Scott, who didn't win Oscars, mm-hmm. occasionally didn't even make money, mm. but always hit these solid doubles of like R-rated action movies. Mm-hmm. These movies are not the most in-demand movies anymore. No. So, you know, I mean, obviously Tony Scott did not live a great deal longer either, but who knows where his career would have gone in the Marvel DC world. Would he have made like an Aquaman movie just to stay in the game? Maybe. 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 That'd be interesting. Yeah. I don't know. Like it's so, God, it's so funny. This got me, when you said like it came out in 2008, it sent me back to like when I 
watch the Dark Knight and like immediately after going on like Reddit or like Google trying to find like uh things about like there must be making a sequel. And I remember like the the big thing in like the forums and stuff was like, oh yeah, dude, they're gonna have a sequel and Philip Seymour Hoffman is gonna be Penguin. Mm-hmm. Like that was the man. If I had to see a Tony Scott directed Batman movie where Philip Seymour Hoffman is Penguin. Yeah. It would have been, you know, it would have been interesting to see what would have happened because these these movies, these 16 movies that he made are so symbolic, really, of 1983 through 2010 in blockbuster filmmaking and kind of what people yearn for, like when they're nostalgic, like nostalgic types or kind of like and his kind of like singular, like cowboy style Mm -hmm. like that just, you know, he's not a company man. No, at all. Despite the fact he was trying to make pleasing movies too, that that did please people, but he's not a company man. He wants to like shoot from the hip. He wants to experiment. He wants to get crazy with it, and that's why we love him. I mean, I was thinking like we are we are like so effusely positive about mm-hmm. Tony Scott, and I think we get kind of hard on Ridley Scott. Yeah, each time out. I don't know why that is. Well, it's um, like, you know what? I feel maybe like, underdog kind of thing? I don't know. I think that's part of it, is that Ridley Scott is like... And I'll be real, I came into this thinking that Ridley Scott was like uh, the classier, better director. Like, if I'm going to be like really, yeah. like truly honest. And it's uh, and it's been a treat uh, kind of discovering and recontextualizing Tony yeah. Scott. Uh, and I think sometimes when you are doing a podcast like this, where we're kind of um, on a certain time frame and we have to watch all these movies at a certain point, and um, the movies are very good, thank goodness for the most part. But sometimes it can be like, you know, it's like when you're sitting down at a, after a long day, do you want to watch a Matchstick Men or do you want to watch a Deja Vu? Exactly. Like I think that maybe that yeah. our opinions a little bit sometimes. Maybe in that. In well, that I mean, we already know, talked about the Kingdom of Heaven. It's like, man, can we just get to Unstoppable? Yeah, uh, you know, and then you know, and that's a treat, man. These movies should mm-hmm. be celebrated, even the ones that like the fan that isn't like a home run. He's a baseball, no, not a home yeah. run, but it's yeah, but it's like, yeah, you know what? The fan, if there was like a uh, Robert Downey Jr., if there was a uh, a Bobby D marathon at the new Bev, they, they have to play the fan, they have yeah. to, yeah, yeah, and you know, the audience would flip out too. Yep. That'd be yeah. such a fun, it would, it would play so well. Yeah. yeah, it play like Kingbuster. So that's the yeah. thing. It's like at the end of the day, like Tony Tony Scott is a um, he's just fun. He's like, and if I think Jen, it's like if, an, yeah. if Jen came down right now, it's like after you get done with the pod, do you want to watch the fan? Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, I, I want to. Yeah. I want to see that uh that uh Hasidic Jewish guy with a chihuahua react to the knife going through the wall. Bobby. Bobby. <laughs> that, that was that was a that was a fun ride through those movies. So, like chaos yeah very good it's a chaos of fun ride and you know we recommend mm-hmm. them both check them out let us know yeah. what you think of them um at the academy academy podcast at gmail.com or on twitter at the academy Acad. we'd love to hear mm-hmm. uh if you agree disagree hell if you're neutral mm. they have no no you know think they're no fun. opinion no opinion yeah. whatsoever no opinion you're just i want like, to get that like... email Somebody, yeah. from double, somebody from Scotland or listener or somebody like that just said us email. I have no opinion on either of these movies, but I enjoyed your show. I yeah. know there's one guy in Alberta, Canada that listens to us, and yeah, it would mean you. the world for me. Yeah. You you are uh, better than the <laughs> troops. You're a hero. <laughs> uh, and I want you to email in and just like give us your Canada takes. I want to know what yeah. you think. of. Are ketchup chips overrated? Uh, are they underrated? Let us know. Let us know. 
The same with Deja Vu. Same with Matchstick Men. Mm-hmm. Next week on the program, oh my gosh, if you thought this one was crazy, the Visionary Alliance returns next week. The Simpson Bruckheimer digression. Another episode, volume of it. This time a 2000 triple feature. Triple feature. How are we going to survive this? I don't know. All three films from the year 2000 produced by Jerry Bruckheimer. We're talking Coyote Ugly. We're talking Gone in 60 Seconds. And we're talking Remember the Titans. That's right. Nicolas Cage and Denzel Washington are back next week as well. Coyote Ugly. That's right. It's on Tubi. Check it out there. Gone in 60 Seconds is on AMC+. Plus. Remember the Titans is on Disney+. Plus. Or they can be rented through all the usual providers. Or all are on reasonably priced Blu-ray. Hmm. Then the week after that, if you thought the Visionary Alliance wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. If you thought you want it darker, the David Fincher story was not enough. Mm-hmm. If you thought the vulgar auteur, the adventures of Michael Bay, which is to come, was not enough. If you thought Scott Scott is not enough, well, you come to the right place because our final Asterix subseries of the universe we are creating is here. That's right. The Equalizer, the Antoine Fuqua story begins in two weeks. Oh, man. We are fascinated with him, whether it's Brooklyn's Finest or the Gangster's Paradise music video. He is a key figure of the era of music video, advertising, blockbuster filmmaking. He did collaborate with Jerry Bruckheimer even on a film. Yeah. But we're going to start things off with two movies that I have never seen. And I don't know if you have seen them either. One of them I had never even heard of. Oh, I'm excited. It was completely wiped from memory. And that is, of course, 1998's The Replacement Killers with Chow Yun-Fat, which I've never seen. And I've I'm heard excited. of this. I'm excited. Super pumped to watch this one. And then a movie from 2000 called Bait with Jamie Foxx, which, if I had heard of it, was completely wiped from my memory bank. This is a utterly forgotten movie, um, which I love. I'm excited. Also, like early, an early Jamie Foxx lead. Yeah, like, I feel like like he was only doing like like the only things he was leading at this time were comedies, like you know, like Booty Call and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, the first sentence in the Wikipedia page says it was a massive financial disappointment. <laughs> so I was like, "Cool, oh, let's no. check it out." Yeah, I want to see. I want to unearth this uh, buried treasure, or. or rightfully forgotten stink <laughs> yeah uh, yeah very yeah it might be some fool's gold uh both these are available to rent through the usual streaming providers replacement killers has a blu-ray bait mia it looks like there's an out-of-print dvd this is again Ooh. you know this not not a not a movie that has survived the last 20 years in the public consciousness oh man Although, we gotta get a send us an email or hit, hit us up on twitter if you're a bait head if, uh, if yeah. this is this movie you watched in college and like that was my favorite with my friends on our leather couch. <laughs> I remember hoping... that DVD menu screen well. <laughs> oh, man. I, I yeah, I, I'm hoping it's like a forgotten classic. I'd like to if 
if this pod like indirectly leads to like Kino Lorber releasing a, a an expansive Blu-ray <laughs> release uh, of uh, with a new interview with Antoine Fuca, bring it on. Yeah, bring it uh, on. We got more exciting stuff to come. These are wild. These are wild times on the Academy. Academy the 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 wilderness of the Marvel era and trying to make a weird original movie are upon us. Yeah, this is like yeah, kind of the beginning of the end, which is uh uh sad and fun. There's a in lot. The year, yeah, in the year two thousand, I I think when Jerry Bruckheimer is having hit after hit with movies like Coyote Ugly and Gone in sixty seconds remakes, um, I don't know if he would twenty two years later. I mean, he's God, the man's nominated for best picture. <laughs> he had the biggest movie of the year. He's he's fine. Oh he's yeah, he's fine. He's still on top. He's yeah, still he's king. The, yeah, he was out in the wilderness for a decade, but he came back. He's yeah, he's gonna he's gonna be fine. He's making deals like yeah. for other movies right now. He's gonna be he fine. owns a ca- he, he definitely owns a castle. He owns the Seattle hockey team. He oh definitely has a castle. So, oh my god! god. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if he doesn't own a that's that's a that is like spiritually a castle. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. that's crazy. He owns a. He turns yeah. 80 this year. We'll have to, Whoa! Yeah. So, But, you know, I think this was a wild one. Thank you for listening. <laughs> we'll, yeah. we'll, 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 we'll check out now. Uh, for Patrick, I'm Don. We will see you next week on the Academy Academy. For Patrick, I'm Don. We will see you next week on the Academy Academy. What? Wait, what the hell? What the hell? Don, am I your daughter? Cliffhanger. I'm going to leave it out as a cliffhanger. <laughs> uh, you find out next week if Patrick's my daughter. Yeah, find out next week. Uh, Ron Howard voice. He's not. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. Hello, and welcome to the award-winning podcast, The Academy Academy. 